We're doing Surah Kahf, Surah number 18 of Quran Al-Kareem. There are three major surahs. The surah is a Makkan surah, and it comprises of 110 verses. There are three main stories in the surah. The first is the story of the people or the sleepers of the cave, due to which the surah got its name. The second story is going to be the story of Sayyidina Musa salam and Sayyidina Khizr anhu. And the third story is that of Zulkarnain, <coughs> who is a person who traveled the whole world from east to west and conquered and settled in the world. Some commentators think that that may refer to Alexander the Great, but not necessarily. The Shana Nazul, or occasion of revelation of the Surah, was that some of the Mushrikeen of Makkah they went to the Jews and Christians to ask them about the Prophet and what do you think about this religion that this Prophet has brought. So the Jews said that you should go and ask him three questions. The first question they said that ask him about Ashab al and that's going to come in the Surah. That is the same thing, the people of the cave, the companions of the cave. Second, ask him, about who is the person who traveled from east to west, i.e. Dhulqarnain, that's also going to come in the surah. And third thing that you should ask him is about the ruh. So we didn't actually do this, but in Surah Bani Israel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they had asked, Allah subhanahu wa gave the response to the other question, that they ask you, my beloved messenger, concerning the ruh, yas'alunaka an ruhi, kulurruhu min amri rabbi, that you should tell them that the ruh is from the matters and affairs of my rub. Right, that I've not been given more detailed information about that. All we can say is that Ru is something that has been created directly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by His command, Kun Fayakun. He says, Be and it becomes. However, the first two questions will be answered over here. Okay, so if you want to, in Surah number 17, verse number 85, is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks, uh, mentions the response to their question. About the Ru'ad bin Laimin Shaitan Rajim, Bismillah Manahim, Wa Yasulunaka and Ruhi Kulu Ruhum and Amr Rabbi, Wa Ma Utitum Minal Ilmi Illa Kalila, that they ask you about the Ru'ad, say to them, my beloved Messenger, that the Ru'ad is from the Amr of my Rub, the Ru'ad is from the command, sole dominion and domain and provision of my Rub, and you, O Mashukin and Makkah, who are asking, you have not been given ilm except a little bit. And it also means that you, O humanity, and even Ummah, you have not been given knowledge except a little bit. All right. There are many virtues of Surah Kaf mentioned in the Hadith. There, in Sahih Muslim, there are three Hadith specifically about this Surah. First Hadith mentions that the person who memorizes or learns and different people have understood the Arabic word differently, but it literally means memorize, but it can also mean learn, guard, safeguard, protect, means imbibe and inculcate and live towards the first ten eyes of the surah, not even the whole surah, the first ten eyes of the surah, such a person will be saved from the fitna of the jal. The fitna of the jal has already started. The precursors to the fitna of the jal himself have already started. Just like when you sort of set the stage before the main character comes. So the, we are already living in an age of fitna. Allah knows best when the Jal may come in 10 years, he may come in 50 years. Yes, he can come in 10 years. And yes, he may not come for another 100 years. But if it just takes 10 ayahs, then better that a person should both memorize and learn and understand and reflect upon them. So this is a hadith in 
<coughs> the Sayyid Muslim. Just so you understand how incredible the fitna, fitna of the Jal is, even Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bikan min fitna al-Dajjal. That Allah, I, Nabi Kizim, seek refuge in you from the fitna of the Dajjal. So if Nabi Kareem used to make such a dua, that means, obviously he knew the Dajjal was not going to come in his time, but he was showing the Ummah what an incredible fitna it is. And according to some of the Muhaddisin, all of the Anbiya used to make this dua. All of the Anbiya used to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of Dajjal. So if something so easy has been mentioned to us in a Sahih Hadith, then we should memorize and learn and understand ten, first ten ayahs <coughs> of Surah Kahf. Just so you understand what an incredible fitna it is, it comes in another Hadith, that Dajjal will not be able to enter Haramein Sharifain, will not be able to enter Makkah Mukarramah and Madinah Manawrah. However, there will be some Muslims inside of Medina Manawrah who will be so bedazzled, bewitched, deluded by Dajjal, they will leave that protected, safe sanctuary of Medina Manawrah and they will go out and they will do- join Dajjal. Allahu Akbar. And it's not actually that difficult to understand because today we have found that many Muslims, they fall prey to the fitna of modernity, they fall prey victim to the fitna of ideology, they fall prey to the victim, they fall victim to the fitna of secularism, they fall prey to the victim, they become victim of the fitna of fashion. So if so many Muslims can fall into such small fitnas, then just imagine how many Muslims are going to fall in the fitna of Dajjal. So many Muslims have fallen to the fitna of westernization. Right? How many then Muslims are going to fall into the fitna of Dajjal? Second hadith, that is also in Sayyid Muslim, is that if a person happens to live in the time of Dajjal, so then the Prophet said, if they recite, if they ever come across the Dajjal, if they recite these ten verses, first ten verses of Surah Kahf, then the Dajjal will not have any power to bedazzle, to bewitch, delude, to impress upon them anyway. So Allah Akbar, one you recite it to yourself, and actually such a big fitna of the Dajjal, all you have to do is recite ten ayat of Surah Kahf. Right? Now who is going to be able to remember to recite that if they ever come across the Dajjal? That would be somebody who knew it well, who memorized it, who lived their life according to it. Right? Okay. This also, by the way, shows you the power of Arabic Quran. If you think, <laughs> People who like to say that, oh, I just like to read Quran in English. I don't understand the Arabic. I just read it in English. Recite these ten in English, nothing will happen to the Dajjal. <laughs> Recite them in Urdu, nothing will happen to Dajjal. Recite them in Persian or all of the above, nothing will happen to Dajjal. It's power of Kalamullah. Quran and Arabiyyah. So we have to have a talik with the Arabic Quran. Third hadith of Sahih Basud Bhujshada. Last ten verses of Surah Kaf. Last ten verses. So the third hadith says that the person who knows or memorizes, however you want to translate it, the last ten verses of Surah Kahf will be preserved from the fitna of Dajjal. Right? Okay, then again, you, these are new things I wanted you to know. All of you know about the hadith that reciting Surah Kaf on Friday is a means of a person being forgiven for all of the sins they did from one Juma to the next Juma. Alhamdulillah, there's still people in this Ummah who sometimes come and say that they regularly recite Surah Kaf every Friday. Right? Okay. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي أنزل على أبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له إوجا 
first of these important ten ayah is that just like Allah SWT began Surah Fatiha, Allah SWT is beginning this important Surah Kafil, Alhamdulillah. And that is something we've already done to you. But we've already explained to you when it came in, Surah Fatiha. But here it's also mentioning that because it's coming as an answer to a question, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending his wahi on Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sending knowledge to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Prophet otherwise wouldn't have had. The informations that are given in the surah are informations that the Prophet could have never have come up with, never have learned, never have researched and discovered on his own. So praise be to that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah anzala ala abdihi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent down on his servant and slave al kitab who was sent down on the Kareem Sallallahu the Quran al Kareem. Alright? So here also this is the words that we see that al Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu is mentioned in the Quran as the Abd. He is first and foremost ultimately the Abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because he's a perfect Abd, he's the perfect agent in revelation. Because he's a perfect Abd, he's never going to add a single harf from himself. He's not going to even change a single shade of meaning this Quran from his own self. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah has not placed any iwaj in that book. Now iwaj, you can explain this in many ways in English. It means that this kitab, it's not crooked, it's not curved, it's not distorted, it's not confounding, it's not confusing, it's not problematic, it's not inconsistent. There's no type of iwaj whatsoever in this Quran al-Karim. It's absolutely straight. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says now in verses number two. Qayyiman. It's qayyim. It is absolutely, this word is the opposite of iwaj. In fact, it's in fact qayyim. It is established. It is sound. It is perfect. It is straight. It is crystal clear, unambiguous. Alright. So, and it means Allah is saying two things. Not only on the one hand did he not put any discrepancy and consistency in Quran, but also Allah has placed in Quran absolute clarity, absolute manifest meaning that can guide a person straightly and directly and concisely to a lifestyle that will earn them the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. Next thing is mentioned here, لَيُنْذِرَ To warn. So the purpose of kitab is that Nabi Karim Sallallahu can warn people of the immense punishment from Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to warn of a severe punishment that will come from Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And obviously that means the rapt is that for those people who don't accept the teachings of the book, who don't accept the qayyim ta'limat of the book, then they will have an immense punishment. And then will you bashir that also the Nabi Karim Sallallahu by means of this Quran can give glad tidings to the believers. Again, that why? Because they follow a qayyim. They are themselves qa'im and they follow this qayyim Qur'an al-Kareem. They are firmly established in this Qur'an. Who are those believers? Those who do amal al-salihat, ya'maluna al-salihat, who do righteous acts, who do good deeds, anna lahum ajran hasana, that they will have a noble and a tremendous reward in the akhirah. Alright? Makithina fihi abada, and they will be dwelling and residing in Jannah for all of eternity. So the point Allah Ta'ala wanted to make was that that ajr will be unfading. Not that they will get a one-time reward, they will get a reward and then they will permanently for all of eternity live in that state of bliss that is brought about by that reward. Now Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala then mentions specifically, refutes the concept that Allah Ta'ala has a son. So the Qur'an has also come so that the Prophet by means of Qur'an, وَيُنذِرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدًا So that Nabiya Kareem may warn those people who say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken a child. 
Again, we did this for you before that Jews, some Jews felt that Sayyidina Uzair was a son. Christians all think that Sayyidina Isa is a son. And the Mushrikeen of Makkah, they felt that the angels were the daughters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they did all of this. Why? Why? They had no knowledge about this fact, nor do their forefathers have any knowledge about this fact. In other words, ye bhi bhe bunyad baat kar rahe hain, unke barur jun jin ki baat nakal kar rahe hain, wo bhi bilkul bhe bunyad baat kar rahe hain. They have no basis for what they're saying, and even the elders, even the very first person who invented this lie in Christianity, that Sayyidina Isa is the son of Allah, they also did so on no basis whatsoever. One reason why Allah Ta'ala is also bringing this up is because it's a response to a question posed by Jews and Christians that the Jews and Christians said to the mushrikeen that asked this question. So in a sense, it's a question posed by all three of them, that who are the people of the cave, right? So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is first doing tarbiyat of all three groups. Before Allah Ta'ala answers the question, Allah Ta'ala clarifies their misbeliefs that they have. And this is very important today as well, because if you engage in comparative studies of Revelation Scripture, you will find the story of the sleepers of the cave, as they call it, in the biblical narratives. Right? Okay. And then what does Allah Subhanahu say? That them, they're saying this, they're saying this about Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, It is immense, enormous, tremendous statement indeed that has come out from their mouths. Means what ajeev statement has come out from their mouths. And then Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says that they're not saying anything illa kadiba except clear manifest lies. Now Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala then gives Nabi Karim Sallallahu a warning. And what is that warning? That even if you enter them, فَلَأَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ أَثَارِهِمْ إِن لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَفَ That, O oh, Nabi Karim Sassam, that perhaps, literally, people translate as, you, are going to, you would destroy yourself. What does it mean that you will wear yourself down? You will destroy yourself, you will wear yourself down with efforts, with grief. Even if you do that, even if you do that still, Right? Out of grief, if the, you, you, perhaps, the Allah SWT is worried, then the Bikrim Sassam, you are going to wear yourself out in grief, or you may wear yourself out even to destruction and death, trying to get them to believe in this Quran al-Kareem. And then what will happen? Then you will only feel extremely sad when they don't believe in this hadith. Now al-hadith, bihad al-hadith, hadith refers to narrative. They won't believe, they won't accept when you give them the narratives of Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khizr of Zulkarnain and of the sleepers in the cave, they still won't accept it. So here Allah SWT is giving tasalli to Nabi Karim beforehand that don't realize that they're not going to believe even after you tell them these stories. Even after all of Surah Kaf is recited to them, they still won't believe. They're going to make some type of excuses. So don't grieve over it and don't destroy yourself with grief. Don't grieve over it and don't destroy yourself with grief. Then Allah subhanahu wa in verse 6 mentions that what is it that's going to keep them from believing it? Inna ja'alna ma'alul ardi zinatan. That Allah subhanahu wa put a zinat on this earth. That indeed Allah says that we, everything we have placed on this earth is a zinat. Right? And zinat means beauty. But zinat here can also mean it's a distraction. So that we may test the people that which one of them will be asan, will be the most noble and virtuous in their acts. So again, and I did this with you a couple of days ago, that the zenith that is on this earth is a test for men, is a test for humanity. And here then it suggests that the people who are not going to follow the Qur'an, follow the Kitab, 
and not going to follow the ayyim hidayat are those who are caught up in zinat, who are going to fail this test because they are lost in the allures and attractions of this world. So simply speaking, we repeat what we said a few days ago, that whenever you have to choose between the zinat of this dunya or becoming muzayyan in deen, right? Because these are sifat. If you have taqwa, you are muzayyan in deen. If you have haya, you are muzayyan in deen. So many times this is the way the test will take place, that either you will have the opportunity to pursue or engage or receive some beauty or adornment of this world, but that will come at the price that you will lose some beauty and adornment and zenith of the deen. So the wise person will always choose the zenith of the deen over the zenith of the dunya. Wise person will always choose the zenith of the deen over the zenith of the dunya. All right. وَإِنَّا لَجَائِلُونَ مَا عَلَيْهَا سَعِيدًا جُرُزًا Then Allah SWT says that indeed that we are going to turn every single thing that is in this dunya, we are going to take this dunya and make everything on it into a barren, infertile plain. In other words, Allah SWT is saying that all of the zinat in the dunya is nothing. It just lies at the command of Allah SWT. He simply has to issue a command and it will become a completely barren, infertile land. So another means that if you're going to be attracted, why are you attracted to that which is funny, which is ephemeral, which gets fade? Instead we should be attracted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that being who is eternal, and we should be attracted to the zinat of the akhirah, of that realm called jannat, which will never ever fade. Indeed, Nabi Akrim Sallallahu said in the hadith, Inna Allaha Jameelan wa Yuhibbul Jamal, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beautiful, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves beauty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beauty incarnate, beauty himself, and he loves each and every single thing that is beauty. Alright. Now what does it mean then? What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here is a lesson for us also when we come to these gatherings of Surah Yusuf and Surah Kahf. That nobody is going to come to deen on the basis of just a story. They may come, they may listen, they may like the story, it may last them a few hours. If they're going to come unto deen, it's going to come unto, they're going to come unto deen when they're tested by the zenith of this world and they choose deen over dunya, that's how they're going to come unto deen. Otherwise, all the kuffar get the story. So the story is not enough. And that's what Allah SWT is saying, that they're going to be tested. They're going to be tested. So these are the first eight uh, Ayat. Now from verse number 9, Allah SWT is going to begin the first story, which is the story of the people of Kahf. <coughs> Do you think that verily, Ashab al-Kahf, wal-Raqim, so this word has come twice, that the people of Kahf and the people of Raqim. So people of Kahf means that the people of the cave, right? And here the word Raqim has been interpreted in many different ways. Some say that Raqim means that there was some inscription on that cave, First thing is to make it clear, first of all, that these are not two separate people. Ashab al-Kahf and Ashab al-Raqim are the same people. Same people. Alright? Raqim, some have said, refers to a stone tablet that was erected by the society that came after them with an inscription in remembrance of the group of young men. Some commentators have said that Raqim is the name of the town which the youth had left. You're going to see the story. Some have said that Raqim is the name of the dog. And Rakim is the name of the dog who, and you're going to see this, there's a dog coming as well. There was a dog who went with them. That Rakim is the name of the dog who went with them. Either way, but this is the incident of the companions of Al-Kahf and Rakim, the companions of the cave. Kanu min ayatina ajaba. And indeed, this story is one, uh, Allah Ta'ala saying that do they view this to be an unusual sign? 
this actually amongst the wondrous signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's amongst the wondrous signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this whole story. Alright. What did they do? Idawa. So when these young men, they took refuge in the cave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they made the following dua. Very important dua. Rabbana atina min ladunka rahmatamu wa hayyilana min amrina rashada. That they made dua that, oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we want that you should send your, first of all, some rahma from your own self. Min ladunka. Grant us from your own mercy. And provide us with guidance and hidayah in all of our affairs. It's a very important du'a that a person should use. Right? Okay, and it may be this du'a itself in these ten ayat that is going to be what saves a person from the fitna of the jam. Okay, because here now we've ended the ten ayat. It's just this much that we did for you right now. These ten ayat are so powerful. That if a person memorizes, learns, and lives by them, they will be safe from the fitna of the jal. That if they recite them in Arabic to the jal, they will be safe from all of his mm, beguiling uh, ability. Okay. Now let me tell you the khulasa of the story. Very quickly I'm going to tell you their story. There are a group of young men and who were living in a time when the people, the society, the rulers, the elite class, and the kings were worshipping idols. And these young men, one day they went to some festival. And in that festival, the people were engaging in open idol worship. And they were appalled by the idol worship that they saw. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put an inspiration into their hearts. And you're going to see that. And these are not anbiya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts an inspiration into their hearts that they should leave this society. So what do they do? They make hijrat. They make hijrat. Now initially, they didn't actually know one another. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired them as individuals. And some of them may have known a couple of one another. But then they coalesced as a group. And even so much that initially they were even reluctant to speak to one another. Then eventually they had a hijrat from society and they were also fleeing from possible, possible persecution from that society because the society would persecute and oppress anyone who didn't share in and engage in their idol worship. So now verse number 11, Allah SWT says that we passed over their ears, we sealed their hearing right, in that cave for a numerous number of years. What does it mean? It means that when they went to the cave, a situation like life suspension, like some type of comatose state, right? Some type of slumber overcame them. Such that they didn't, they themselves did not age. But the time continued to pass outside of them. Every single else time was passing on it and every other thing was aging. But they were not aging. They were suspended. Some Allah Ta'ala's own cryogenics, right? So they were suspended in Whatever age they were in. And then what happened? Then in verse 12, then Allah subhanahu wa says, and He raised them up. Then we raised them up, we resurrected them. Right? And this is also one of the things that the Jews and Christians, exactly this is what they knew. Right? And the mushrikeen, they didn't, the mushrikeen didn't accept this. Jews and Christians believed that Allah Ta'ala has the power to raise people up from the dead and bring them back to life because they believe in Akhirah. The Mushrikeen didn't believe in this concept. So it was a very irony of the story that when the story turns out to be correct, then the Mushrikeen have to be forced to accept this notion that indeed people can be raised up by Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And Allah Ta'ala indeed is that being who has absolute control over life. He can create life. He can terminate life. Here He's showing He can suspend life. He can unsuspend that life. He can still make that life go still. He can resurrect that life. Allah Ta'ala has complete command and control over the life of each and every single person.
All right. Okay, so the Nanda says that we raise them up so that we may know that from the two of them, from, from them, which of the two groups had better calculated the period in which they had remained sleeping. So the first thing is that when they woke up, they disagreed with another, how long have we been sleeping? And you're going to see that, right? One group was of the opinion they had only slept for a single day. And the other group, this is coming in verse 19, the other group felt that we cannot say only Allah knows best. We leave it up to Allah SWT knows best how long we have been sleeping. Karana verse number 13, Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we are telling you their story, their qissa, with absolute haq, with complete truth and complete accuracy. With complete truth and complete accuracy. And who are they? Innahum fityatun amanu birabbihim. And they were a group of young men of youth. They were a group of young men and youth who believed in their Rabb. And because they had that belief, وَزِدْنَاهُمْ huda. Allah tells us we increase them in hidayah. So this is the penultimate story. Sayyidina Yusuf a.s. is a story of one youth. And here is going to be the story of the group of youth. What should a group of youth do? Right? And this is what we mentioned earlier. This is a group of youth who are hanif. They were pure. They don't have their own no nabi they're going to be following. There is no nabi that they're following. There is no leader that they have. They were hanif, they were pure inside of themselves. They recognized false ideology and false belief and foul practice of idolatry when they saw it. So this is really there like in the legacy of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam. They're from the Hunafa, right? They're from the Hunafa. They're from the righteous, pious, uh, inherently, intrinsically righteous and pious people. Then what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? How does He give them the hidayah? What's the first surah of hidayah? Verse number 14. وَرَبَتْنَا ala kulubihim Kalb. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do when He gives somebody hidayah? So the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, right, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make their qalb. And what is that? That we join وَرَبَتْنَا ala kulubihim That it means, number one, that we made firm their hearts. And it also means that we join between their spiritual hearts. We gave, we made them firm on their iman, and we connected them to one another, and we joined their hearts. We placed a rabd and a rabd between their hearts. Both translations are going to be there simultaneously. We made their qulub madbut, masbut, and we also joined their spiritual hearts with one another. So rather than trying to face the evils of society alone, we made them into a jamaat. We made them into a jamaat. And today also, this is the second thing, right? One thing secularism tries to convince you that you're an individual. And because of individualism, you don't need a leader. You don't need a stars. And the second thing says, Why do you make a group? Why do you make a group? Which group is it? Neki is a group. Taqwa is a group. Sunnat is a group. That's a good group. That's a good group. So Allah Ta'ala took these youth and He put a connection, spiritual connection placed by Allah SWT between their spiritual hearts that they had mutual love and respect for one another as opposed to suspicion, disharmony and distrust for one another. The reason why Allah Ta'ala did this because when they were leaving the society there was a worry that is this other person, is he like me? Is he Hanif? He has realized adultery is wrong? Or is he an agent of this idol-worshipping government who is trying to find out and persecute and oppress those who want to flee from idolatry? So Allah Ta'ala wanted their hearts to be completely Mm, pure with one another. 
So then what happened? Then they stood up and they said, Kalu. So Kamu, they stood up, they rose up and said, Fakalu Rabbuna, Rabbu Samawati wal Arde. That indeed our Rabb, our Rabb is the Lord of all of the realms that lie above, the firmaments, the skies, the heavens, and who is the Lord of this earth. And Ard can also, by the way, although I've been translating a few as earth up to now, it can also be translated as universe. One can say that our Rabb is the Rabb of the heavens and the universe. And we will never ever make dua, we will never ever call upon any being other than him. So here on their own, this is their pure hanif, they proclaim their tawheed. There is no Nabi who taught them this. No Nabi taught them this. And they're, make, they're proclaiming their tawheed and making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. That we will not call upon any other deity or view any other being as our Rabb, as our Lord. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the end of their dua is that if we were to do so, we would be saying something other than the truth. What does it mean? Shatata means that it would be an extremely grievous, grave, manifest ever that we would ever do such a thing. And therefore, what are they doing? They're also making, not only they're mentioning their tawheed, but they're, all, they're proclaiming the utter falsehood, the utter and absolute falsehood of calling upon any being other than Allah subhanahu wa So hanif, Allahu Akbar. They, what they're saying on their own is nothing less, not even one shade less than what the Anbiya and Mursaleen were sent by Allah subhanahu wa to teach. They will also be there in the Day of Judgment. And we will also be there in the Day of Judgment. Hmm? Have you heard of relative marking? Those who are students know. Allahu <laughs> Akbar. Their words are so precise. Such a precise, concise dua that Allah Ta'ala loved it so much that He made it part of His Qur'an, part of Kalamullah. He wanted Sayyidina Rasulullah to recite these words. He wanted the Sahaba Kram to recite their words. He wanted all of the Ummah to recite their words. He wanted every year in Ramadan, all over the world, all of the Ummah should recite their words. Hasibi makbul youth. Allah Akbar. It's a lesson for the youth. When you come to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, this is how Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala loves youth. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that amongst, one of, amongst the seven categories which will get the shade of the throne of Allah SWT on that day, the day of judgment, on that day in which there is no other shade except the shade of His throne, one of those seven categories are those young men and women who gave themselves entirely to the love and worship of Allah SWT. Does it mean they don't leave their studies? It means they became pure and pious. Pure and pious, they gave their youth. They didn't think that I'll wait when I'm older and right now I'm a teenager and I'm going to experiment and I'm going to do everything and taste everything and try everything and experience everything and then I'll become religious. No. They gave their prime to Allah subhanahu wa So whenever the youth do that, this surah is showing us how much Allah subhanahu wa honors that. Really, and that's what it is. I'll also tell you, this whole surah is giving a big lesson that it's pious youth that will save the ummah from the fitna of Dajjal. So much so that just nine ayat precursor to it, and just two ayat about them is enough to save the entire ummah from the fitna of Dajjal. This is the power of the piety of youth. And this is exactly again why atheism and kufr targets all the things that are golden in our deen, and that's where the number one effort is to make the youth go away from the deen.
Because they know that if they can get the college and university youth to leave their deen, then that was the power that would stand in front of the fitna and the jam. Allahu Akbar. So, okay, now verse number 15, so they continue. Uh, okay, what do they do? Another thing you can see that they do is they're going to make hijra. They're going to make hijra. That we can't live in the society. How can we continue to live in the society? And again, hijra, this is something Nabi Akrim Sassam taught Sahaba to do, to go to Abyssinia. This is something Nabi Akrim Sassam himself and Sahaba did. They went to Medina Manora. These youth also, without any Nabi to tell them, they also realize that what should our response be? We have to make hijra. And that is a lesson to youth as well, that if, if even if you're not able to make physical hijra, but you must make hijra away from all of the friends who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who don't love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who don't observe the haya that Allah ta'ala wants us to observe, we have to become people of hijra if we want to become true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now going back now here, verse 15, that indeed this these are people, they have adopted as gods, they've taken other than our Rabb as a god. They have taken other than our Rabb as a god. Would that something could come upon them that is a clear and manifest proof. So even they knew. Lola ya'tuna alayhim bisultan. Bisultan imbayyin. That if only a clear and manifest proof could come down upon them, would come to them. It means they even understood. They understood so much, they were so hanif, they understood Allah Ta'ala sends scriptures, sends kitab and sends anbiya. And they're making dua that may some kitab and nabi be sent to our kaum. فَمَنْ أَدْلَمُ مِمَّنْ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا And indeed, who can be more, in more manifest error, who can be more wrong, who can be more unjust, than that person who invents and fabricates a lie, and attributes it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here they're talking about uh, the lie of shirk. Here they're talking about the lie of shirk, that how could anyone believe that there is more than one God? More than one being was where they worship. Okay, verse number 16 onwards. Then when you have turned away from them, and those whom they worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then seek refuge in the cave. So here now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending His wahi on them. That when you have turned away from them, in other words, from this society of idol worshippers, means when they did etizal, when they decided to cut themselves off, they spurned that society, and then what happened, they proceeded to go and seek refuge in the cave, to seek sanctuary in the cave. Then what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did nashr of his rahmah. You know nashr, it means Allah Ta'ala broadcast His rahmah. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala spread His rahmah. He enveloped His mercy over them. He extended and broadcast and surrounded them in His mercy. And Allah Ta'ala says, and Allah Ta'ala will provide ease in all of their matters. Alright. So this is a lesson for us again, that if we leave sin, and we leave shirk, then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala sends His mercy down. How does His nashr? He broadcasts it. He showers it down upon a person whenever that person makes a hijra away from any sin or any shirk that they're doing. And secondly, that when a person tries to leave sin for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there may be people who try to make it difficult. There may be people who try to make that matter and affair difficult for them. So the second thing Allah ta'ala mentioned is a lesson for us as well, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows ease on 
your matters, means that whenever we try to leave sin as well, then we will also get some ease from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Now physically, now uh, uh, practically Allah ta'ala is going to mention some physical aspects of ease that Allah ta'ala has sent upon them. So in verse number 17, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you would see the sun, that when it would come over their cave, it would rise from the right, and when it would decline away from their grave, from their cave, sorry, when it would decline away from their cave, it would, mm, it would set from the left. And they, and they were lying in right in the middle, they were writing in the hollow of that. So what's this I mean? This is an astronomical feature that Allah Spanta is mentioning. That actually Allah Spanta is mentioning is that the opening of their cave was facing such that the sun would rise and set from right to left. In other words, light would not enter their cave. They were saved during this long period of time from sunlight, from the heat of that sunlight, or from any other harmful effects that that sunlight may have had on them. So Allah Ta'ala mentions that that is one of the signs of Allah This is also one of the signs of Allah that in the sense He positioned their cave, or if you will, in such a way that the normal solar cycle was changed for them, this was done as a help for them. Now, some also take this as a more general meaning. And what is that? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help us within this world. What does that mean? So when a person wants to leave false beliefs and kufr and shirk and sin, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send His madad and nusrat on us within the asbab, but also Allah ta'ala can help us in a way that goes even above and even transcends the asbab. Then Allah Ta'ala says, مَنْ يَهْدِ اللَّهُ فَهُوَ مُحْتَدْ That whomsoever Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala guides, indeed that person will be rightly guided. And وَمَنْ يُدْلِلْ فَلَنْ تَجِدْ لَهُ وَلِيٌّ مُرْشِدًا That in that person who is misguided, ajeeb, that person who is misguided, they will have no wali and they will have no murshid. That person who is misguided will have no wali and have no murshid, means they will not have anyone, but actually what it means here, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the wali, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the murshid, and if they're not being guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if they haven't been able to take Allah ta'ala as their wali, and take Allah ta'ala as their murshid, murshid means the one who provides rushd, the one who guides, then they will not be able to be guided from any way or shape or form whatsoever. Alright. So wali you can translate as benefactor, and murshid you can translate as guide. Alright. And we've explained this to you before, that that person who chooses to remain on the path of misguidance, Allah Ta'ala lets them stray, but when Allah Ta'ala lets them stray, it takes place in such a way that they will find no wali or murshid because they strayed from which path? They strayed from that path in which Allah Ta'ala was their wali, and Allah Ta'ala was their murshid. So what happens was is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala woke them up, they seemed it it seemed to them as if uh, they seemed as if they were awake. And you would think that they were awake while they were asleep. So they were suspended in such a perfect state of life, it was just like pause, that it would seem to anyone that they're still completely living. When in actuality they were actually asleep. Alright. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we turn them on their sides right and left. Now what is, I mean, this is also a sabab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't have to do this, but he, he made use of this sabab. You will find that if any time a person is comatose or a person is temporarily paralyzed, if they remain prone like that, then 
their body, their muscles, they get all knotted up, so they keep turning them and massaging them so the blood keeps circulating so that the muscles don't get up. So even here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, right, uh, that so that they wouldn't be bedridden with sores on all of their body, that Allah ta'ala in other words here is saying that He took part in their bodily preservation. And the example here is also when you can think of this issue in the grave, that when we go into the cover, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also, just like He saw to it, that the bodies of Ashab al-Kaf, the people of the companions of the cave remained intact, just like that Allah Ta'ala will be able to do bodily resurrection from a person's grave. Now you have mention of the kalb of the dog, so we're here in the middle of the verse, uh, verse 19. And then their dog, uh, this is kalb as opposed to qalb, this shows another very important place of tajweed, right? So you don't want to mix, mix up this kaf and this qaf. So kalb here, kalb with kaf means dog. So dog, it means he spread out his forelegs, spread out his paws, right? And where and what did he spread out his forelegs in front? In front of the wasid. Wasid is considered to be one of those mushkilat of Quran, it's a difficult word. Some will say that wasid means the mouth or opening of the cave, Right? Others say that because, no, they were in the inner chamber of the cave, in a spacious area where they were protected from the elements out there, that he was sprawled out in the foyer or the entry point or the courtyard or the initial passage of the cave, not really at the mount. So that's what I think Mufti Takisam was trying to translate when he said doorstep. We would have maybe used the word foyer for that. He is taking that second position. Wasid, either way, Wasid means that the dog had spread out its paws and forelegs and was somehow as a protective guardian uh, in some entryway or some pathway, if you will, of that cave. Then Allah SWT says, and the way He had preserved them was an awe-inspiring way. Allah going to use a very strong wording now Allah SWT is going to use here. And what is that? Uh, that if you, and initially it means you, Nabi Kareem wasallam, if you were to have become aware of them and informed of them, and it means, also means if you were to look at them, if you were to become aware of them, or you were to look at them, or you were to gaze at them, then what would happen? minhum That you would turn away and you would flee. You would turn away and flee away from them. And what would have happened? minhum That you would have gone away, you know, full of awe. You would have been filled in awe of them. Allahu Akbar. It means that the way Allah subhanahu wa suspended them, Allahu Alam, means it was a person would have been awestruck. A person would have been awestruck if they ever came to gaze upon them. And even Nabi Karim Sassan would have been awestruck and you would have fled out of wonder. You would have been filled with awe and wonder when you looked at them and you would have fled out of wonder. You would have fled because you would have been filled with wonder at looking at them. All right. Then Allah says that in this way we raise them up until they ask one another. So now we're in verse number 19. So one by one they were raised up. Each one was raised up one to the other. So we raised them up until they asked each other. And one of them asked to his companions that how long were you in this state? How long libithtum? How long did you tarry in this state? How long was were you enshrouded or enveloped in this state? So they said that just a day or maybe even just a part, yawman o ba'da yom, one day, or even just a portion or a part of the day. 
Qalu, then another group of them said, Rabbukum a'lamu bima labithtum, that indeed actually know your Rabb knows best how long you have tarried. So what did they do then? Then they sent one of them, they sent one of their company with a silver coin to the city. And what did they tell him? So they told him, it's also very important, they told him that what you should do, فَلْيَنْذُرْ أَيُّهَا أَزْكَةَ آمَنْ That you should go to the city and try to find the azkata am. Don't just find any edible items. Don't just bring back any old food for us. Find the azkata am. Find the most pure, the most pristine, the most wholesome, the most spiritually pure as well, food that you can for us. فَلْيَأْتِكُمْ بِرِسْكِمْ مِنْهُ And then you should bring uh, some of that sustenance and nourishment for us from that. And the second thing was told to him, that and he must act in a polite manner, and must not let anyone know about you. So three things, bring askata'am, behave in the most best of ways. What does it mean? That don't attract any attention yourself, act in the most best adab and akhlaq. Right, act in the best of the so no one should get to know about you. No one should know about you who you are because they were scared. After all these years had passed, but they didn't know how much time had passed, but still they were worried about the possibility of any persecution, any prosecution. So again, this also tells us what type, we can only imagine how tyrannical that government and that society was that they fled. That they're so worried that they have to go and send one person to surreptitiously uh, go and get the food for them. All right. Now, this can be understood as well that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised them up, obviously people people get very hungry if you've been sleeping for a very long time, right? So obviously they were feeling a hunger, but despite their hunger, they only wanted to eat what was azka. All right. That indeed if they become aware of your presence So they told the one young man who was going That indeed if the people If they become aware of your presence Then what will they do? They will يَرْجُمُكُمْ They will stone you to death Or what will they do? يُعِيدُكُمْ فِي مِلَّتِهِمْ They will try to return you back to their millat Again this, Those of you who may not have been here before When I explained the concept of millat It's not that they turn you back to religion so what happens? This is what Allah is teaching in the Quran. That when a young man tries to leave this false company, the false society, the false parties, right? And tries to go to the, and live a life that is pure for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if he goes back just a min, small incursion to get some food, there is a danger that the people will just be waiting for him. And they are going to try... To, they may either stone him, means they may condemn him, they may stone him with their words, they may throw harsh words on him, or they're going to try their best to convert him back to the millet that he was on. They're going to try to bring him back to his old ways. They will apply peer pressure to make him go back to all of those unlawful, impermissible ways from which he had fled from. Right? And then if a person does that, that after which then you will never ever gain falah. So this is all that they told that one man of them, right, who went back. Okay. However, what happens was when he went, so the young man went, and some of the Mufassir mentioned that his name was Tamlikha. Here, so when this young man went in, so everything, he followed all the instructions, he went, he saw where the food was wholesome, he kept a low profile, he was very kind, but when it came time to pay, 
So he brought a silver coin. So because they had actually been there for a very long time, so it was extremely old coin. It's like somebody showing up to the general store and taking out a sikka from the 19, 1902. Right? So when he brought that old coin, so the merchant from whom he was trying to get that food from was taken aback. And then the story spread in the city, right? That this, such a young man came with such a coin. And then at this point, however, at this point, you see this is the barakah of the youth. They made this dua, right? So remember they made the dua that Allah Ta'ala sent some type of sultanum bayin on them. So at this point, through, in the time that they were in the cave, up till now, the whole society has changed. And now it is a society of believers. And their ruler is also a believer. The society is mu'mineen and the ruler is also mu'min. So, when uh, when the story spread, uh, then the king even received news about the stranger. So then he went with a group of mu'mineen and they went to the cave to meet these people and they were very, very pleased upon meeting them. So this is what Allah SWT is describing in verse 21. That thus in this manner did we make them known as we made the ashabikah, we disclosed them to the people of the city so that the people of that city could realize that Allah SWT's promise is true and also that there's no doubt about the hour, the sa'ah, the day of judgment. That that same Allah SWT who can now send somebody back to you after so many decades, that same Allah Ta'ala can revive all of humanity even if centuries or thousands or tens of thousands of years Pass over them. And then, first thing that happened is that the people dispute, had a disagreement. The mu'mineen people had a disagreement as to how best they should honor, how best they should honor this discovery of the people of Kahf. So one group said, bunyana. So one group said that we should build a structure over them. Right? Now don't think this doesn't mean mazar, right? But build a structure over them. This is what we did earlier with Maqam Ibrahim. That this is a feature of Quran. That the places of pious people are taken as a musalla. Therefore, if you go to Medina Manawra, you will see these masajid, Masjid Bilal, Masjid Abu Bakr, Masjid Umar, Masjid Uthman. These were actually the homes of these Sahaba Ikram, radiyallahu ta'ala anum ajma'in. Here, not Masjid Abu Bakr, but Masjid Bilal and Masjid Umar. These were the homes of the Sahaba Ikram. And so it was in the earliest period of the Muslim community, they decided to make their homes masajid. It's very different to build a masjid where somebody used to reside and building a mazar over their grave. So here, then what did Allah SWT say? Rabbuhum a'lamu bihim. And indeed their Rabb knows best about those young men. And those who prove and those who were dominant in the decision, who prevailed in the matter, what did they say? So what did they say? That surely and undoubtedly we will definitely build a masjid over the resting place. We will build a masjid over the resting place. Alright. And this also is mentioned this here, this notion of the tablet. When the king saw the people, when the ruler of the time, he saw the Ashab Kaf, then he summoned a tablet. That's one of the tafsir of the word Rakim. Apparently when these young men disappeared, the corrupt government had written all of their names down on a tablet. That these are now outlaws and renegades from society. And if they're ever found, like a most wanted list. So the, now the current ruler, he 
summoned and asked for that tablet to be sent and he saw that indeed that it was the same people in the cave are the same ones on that tablet and that was another way how they also established that these people had been suspended by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a special way and kept alive in that grave without in the cave without time passing over them the masjid that was built over them the professor mentioned that the masjid was built obviously at the mouth of the cave the masjid was built at the mouth of the cave where they were residing, the masjid was not built over their graves where they were buried. The masjid was not built over their graves where they were buried, but the masjid was built at the site of the cave, which was the site which their, which was their musallah in a way, which was the site where they also had retreated to pray and turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Now comes the discussion of how many were they? So here now we're in verse number 22. That some people have made the statement that there were three people in the cave and the fourth of them was their dog. Others have said there were five of them and the sixth was their dog. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about all of these people? Rajman bil ghayb. That they are merely guessing, they are estimating and guessing things that are unseen and unknown to them. And some say that there were seven, and the eighth of them was their dog. Qul, say to them, my beloved messenger, Rabbi, my Rabb, a'lamu bi'iddatihim, that my Rabb is the most knowledgeable about what their number actually was. Ma ya'lamuhum illa qadil, and only a few people know it. Only a few people know it. Different Mufasrin have taken different views here. Some say that that last statement was correct, that they were seven in number. And the eighth was their dog. And others say no, that nobody knows what their actual number was. And therefore, the, and then here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet that you shouldn't debate with these mushrikeen or the Jews or Christians who have sent them to ask you. to not argue or debate about the number. Except the only thing you should do is a clear, uh, a clear discussion, a clear argument. وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِفِيهِمْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا And don't even ask any single person about uh, these Ashabi Kahf. Right. Here then, in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not resolve the matter. Uh, and the reason is, is that also it doesn't really make a difference to get Hidayah from the story, whether they were five or six or seven uh, of them. Okay. So this is a general lesson that we have been given, that we should not delve into debate and discussion and argumentation about matters which are not core and central to Hidayah. Except a very preliminary, that's how I would say, I think he translated a superficial discussion. Uh, I would say that don't do it except in apparent, so rather than apparent argumentation, I would say that do not engage in argument or discussion except at the most preliminary, initial, tentative level of discussion you can have about the number and that's it. Have a most minimal, have a very minimal light discussion on their number, but don't go any further into that. And so this is a broader lesson for us, that those aspects even of Qur'an al-Kareem, that are not necessarily, do not have a direct relevance or direct bearing on our hidayah, we should not engage in lengthy discussions. So far in the door I've been giving you often the example of what's the difference between kursi and arsh, right? Have a preliminary, initial, tentative, exploratory discussion and maybe disagreement over that. But that's it. Don't go any further into that issue. Then, وَلَا تَكُولُونَ لَشَيْءٍ 
إِنِّي فَائِلٌ ذَلَكَ غَدًا That do not say about any single thing that indeed I'm going to do that thing tomorrow إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ Unless you add إِنْشَاءَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ And you should remember your Rabb whenever you forget Him. وَقُلْ أَسَاءً يَهْدِيَنِي رَبِّي لِأَقْرَبَ مَنْ مِنْ هَذَا الرَّشَدَ That indeed I have the hope that my Rabb will soon guide me to that which is even أَقْرَب which is even closer, which is, which is a form of guidance that will bring me even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So the first thing that is mentioned here is that the Tathir ibn Kuthir uh, mentions that the, when the Jews were told, when the Jews presented, these told the mushrikeen to pose these three questions to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So when they returned from Medina Manawara, uh, the mushrikeen of Makkah told the leaders of the mushrikeen, which are the Quraysh, that now they had a certain way that they will be able to uh, ask, ascertain the truth about the Prophet so when they came and they asked the Prophet ﷺ these three questions I did from the beginning, he told them, the Prophet ﷺ responded to them that, okay, I will answer you tomorrow. I will certainly answer you tomorrow. In response to that, Allah and the Prophet ﷺ omitted to say, inshallah. In response to that, this is again one of the Jalal, I've been making a track of these verses, where Allah ﷺ manifests his sha'an al-Jalali, even to say, Rasulullah Rasulullah ﷺ. Allah Ta'ala immediately told the Prophet Don't ever say Don't you ever ever say Regard to anything That you ever want to do Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That I'm going to do it tomorrow Unless that you also add And you make it conditional On the will of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala Allahu Akbar Look at the azmat of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala How he's doing The rabiyat of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So it means that we should also Never think that we will live to see tomorrow or that we have any might or ability to do something tomorrow, except by saying insha'Allah. So this adab of insha'Allah is actually not like, it's a very, what do we call it here, rivayati. Rivayati, wilayati, rivayati thing. Rivayati thing now in Pakistan, but it's meant to be actually something that is said with feeling. When a person says insha'Allah, they're saying it on their tongue because their heart is actually thinking, I have no idea whether I'm going to live to see another day. I have no idea will I be around to do it. Today I have legs that walk, maybe tomorrow I'll be paralyzed, I'm saying I'm going to see you tomorrow. I have no idea whether I will even be physically able to move tomorrow. That's the feeling a person is supposed to have. In other words, the frailty of humanity, the fragility of humanity, the fragility of our desires and plans and objectives, even one day, even one day we cannot say with certainty. Alright? And then Allah Ta'ala gave us another uh, thing. وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ You should remember your Rabb whensoever you forget. So those of you who are students of the soul can understand this as a way to understand مَقُوفِ قَلْبِ That it means that whenever you forget Allah, you should try to remember Him again. Then whenever again you forget, you should remember again. So what would be the purpose of that? The purpose of that and the result of that would be that you become a person who never ever forgets Him and rather that you're always and always remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, that how long have they been in the cave? So this is verse number 25. And they actually were dwelling and they remained in that state in the cave for how long? For 300 years was Dadu Tisa and add another nine to it means they were there for 309 years. 
Indeed, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best how long they have been. So the first thing that seems that it's apparent from the first verse, from the first sentence, that they remain in the cave for 309 years. However, then Allah ta'ala then immediately follows that Allah knows best how long they stayed. So the Mufassirun have taken two views on this. One is that they stayed in 309 years. They stayed for 309 years. Second is that the Ahl Kitab, the Jews and Christians thought that they stayed for 309 years. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioning through the, revealing to the Prophet what it is that they think. So also that they can see that even that Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet that what they think. And Allah Ta'ala is saying that no, even you're incorrect, it's not 309 years. Allah Ta'ala knows best how long they stay. Why? Because the Hughayb al-Samawati wal-Ard, to Allah Subhanahu wa belongs the knowledge of all the unseen things, right? And absir bihi wa asmih, and how Allah Subhanahu is the best of perceivers, and how best does Allah Ta'ala perceive, and how best does He listen and hear. And they, ma'aluhum min dunihim min waliyum wala yushriku fi hukmihi ahada, and they have no benefactor, no wali, other than Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, and no one can be Allah Ta'ala's partner in His judgment and in His wisdom, right? No one, Allah Ta'ala lets no one share in His authority. Alright. The suggestion though, feeling is that they were there for maybe 300 plus years. Some commentators have taken the view that why did Allah Ta'ala say 300 plus 9? So that they were there 300 solar years and they were there 309 years. And in fact 300 solar years adds up to 309 lunar years and 73 days and 9 hours and 48 minutes. Alright. That you should recite to the people what all has been revealed to you from this great sacred book of your Rabb. And there is no being who can change and alter the words of Allah SWT in any way whatsoever. And you will never find any place, there is no place where you can seek refuge except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاسْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ That and now Allah Ta'ala is giving a general command. Right, this is a very important and this is also rubbed here is that here Allah SWT is making it clear that if anybody now having now uh, finished the story of the people of Kahaf, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that if anybody wants, if any young man wants, right before we move to the next story that is coming, if any young man wants that he should also Make himself pure like the people of Kaha. So Allah Ta'ala is giving a method to do that. Wasper nafsaka that you should keep yourself firmly attached. Ma'alladina yad'una rabbahum with those people who call upon their Rabb bil ghadati wal ashiyyi in morning and evening. And why do they call upon their Rabb morning and evening? Yuriduna wajhahu because they're seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says one of the fascinating ayat of Quran, Surah Kaf, Surah 18, verse number 28. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَلَا anhum. Don't lower your gaze from them. So in Quran al-Kareem, there have been two hukums that have been given about the gaze. One hukum is lower your gaze. Both of them, are if, if, if any young person can learn to follow these two ayat of Quran, 
बेरापार बेओपार बेरापार हो जाएगा आपका फर्स्ट वर्स इज वन लोअर योर गेस बिकम अनअवेयर ऑफ द नॉन मेहरम द गर्ल्स शुड बी अनअवेयर ऑफ द बॉयज एंड द बॉयज शुड बी अनअवेयर ऑफ द गर्ल्स लोअर योर गेज अवर्ट योर गेज बिकम डिस इंटरेस्टेड इन and second verse is to do amal on this wala ta'du aynaka anhum and don't lower your gaze here this also verse in quran there are two things allah has commanded one is to lower our gaze from non mahram and number one is to keep our gaze fixated on those people who call upon their rub morning and evening seeking his pleasure and fixing fixating the gaze and not lowering the gaze means keep yourself focused on attached with in love with enamored with such people but all of your emotional feelings there and none of your emotional feelings there this is a two step recipe allah taala has given in quran al-karim so don't lower your gaze don't shift your attention don't avert your eyes from them in any way and what would make you do it what in the world would make you avert your gaze from those people who call upon their rub morning and evening again that same word is going to come to read zinat 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 al-hayat zinat al-hayat ad-dunya What is it that's going to make you avert your gaze from them? It will be that you're desiring your irada for the beauties and attractions of this world. Very clear Allah Ta'ala has made. Your attraction for the beauties and attractions and of this world. Then another very important, this two super teachings in one ayah. Next teaching, وَلَا تُطِئْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ أَنْ ذِكْرِنَا And do not obey, do not follow man, any and every such person. Agfalna hu, agfalna kalbahu. We have made, Allah Ta'ala says, we Allah Ta'ala have made their spiritual heart empty. And dhikrana from our dhikr. Clearly Allah Ta'ala mentions in Quran here that dhikr is a feature of the kalb. And anybody whose kalb is empty of dhikr, you should not follow them. You should not follow, obey listen to any such person this is one of the most important ayat in the teachings of the sawf what taba'a hawahu and why and to so that person whose heart becomes empty of the zikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then what do they end up doing what do they end up doing what taba'a hawahu they end up following their own whims and desires wa kana amruhu furata and then their manner and their affair they are guilty of ifrat and tafrit then they become a person who is always transgressing and exceeding the limits all right so this verse number 28 is a very important ayah and it's a prescription for the youth how they can become like the youth of ashab al-kahf verse 29 wa qul al-haqqu min rabbikum and speak the truth that comes from your rabb And you should know that for man shaaf al yumin whom sever wants let them have iman and whom sever wants let them adopt kufr. Inna atadna lizalimina nara, but indeed we have prepared for those who are unjust and wrongdoers and sinners and oppressors the fire of Jahannam. Aha tabihim surad kuha, and indeed the walls of flame of that Jahannam will surround them and envelop them. The walls of flame will surround them and envelop them. so much so that if they beg for help from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala then what will happen they will be helped what will they get in that help they will be given nothing other than water that is like the residue of burnt oil and that water will scald and scorch their faces bi's sharab indeed what a terrible beverage that would be to drink 
and wasa'at murtafaqa and indeed jahannam is one of the worst of resting places that fire is of the worst resting places all right so we have done some of this before and i told you now we're going to start allah ta'ala quran is going to start mentioning some of the specific punishments and torments that will happen in jahannam verse 3 in the dhina amanu wa amanu salihat as is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's almost universal practice, whenever He talks about Jahannam, He will talk about Jannah. Whenever He talks about the sinners, He will talk about the believers. So in these those who believe and do righteous acts and deeds, إِنَّ لَا نُذِيءُ أَجْرَ مَنْ أَحْسَنَ أَمَلًا Allah says, indeed, I will not let go to waste the reward of that person whose actions are noble and good and virtuous. I will not let go to waste the virtues of the virtuous. And for such people, Jannatun Adnin, there will be eternal gardens underneath which rivers will flow. And what will they have there? Yuhallona fiha min asawira min zahabin. That they will be adorned, uh, they will be adorned therein with bracelets that are made of gold. And they will be dressed therein in green garments. This we want to read actually in Arabic. وَيَلْبَسُونَ ثِيَابًا خُذْرًا مِنْ سُنْدُسْ They'll be wearing green garments of sundus and wastabrak, green garments of sundus and istabrak. Sundus is known as fine silk and istabrak is coarse silk. Fine silk and coarse silk. Right? Mutakki'ina fiha al-araik and they will be reclining on throne-like couches and ni'mathawab, what a wonderful fine reward indeed they will be given. Wahasunat murtafaka, and indeed how noble and virtuous and excellent is their resting place, which is the realms of Jannah. Alright. So here there's mentioned, right, this mention of two things that are forbidden to men, at least in this world, which is gold and silk. Permissible to women in this world and forbidden to men in this world, but granted to both men and women in Jannah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. This notion that the clothing of... The clothing in Jannah will be green. Right? The clothing in Jannah will be green. Some commentators have suggested the reason for that is that green is that color in terms of where it lies in the spectrum of colors that is the most pleasing to the eye. Green is that color which is the most pleasing to the eye. Right? Okay. Now Allah Sponsor is going to begin another story. Right? And this story we can do quite quickly. This is I'm going to read very quickly from 32 to 44. Because the main story was that of the people of Kahaf and the story of Sayyidina Musa Salam and Khizr and the story of Zulkarnay. Verses 32 to 44. What their and my beloved Messiah give them to the example, the analogy of two people. We gave one of them two orchards of grapes and we surrounded both of them, both of the two orchards of grapes that we had given him, we had surrounded them with date palms and then we even planted, we placed a plantation of crops and vegetation between the two of them. Both of the two orchards that were given to him, they both bore fruit. And Allah Ta'ala says, and we did not withhold anything from those orchards. All of the fruit came out from those grape orchards. And on top of that, we even caused a stream or a river to flow or gush through uh, from amidst the two of them. And on top of that, وَكَانَ لَهُ ثَمْرٌ That that person had an abundance of fruit. Who translated that he had an abundance of wealth. 
So this person who had been given all of this, what did he say? So he said to his companion, while he was conversing with him, what did he say? He said, That I am great, I have more than you in terms of wealth. And I... Uh, my pe- my people, my family are azu, are even more dominant, are even more uh, honorable than you. It meant that he had more children, he had a larger family. All right. So he entered Badakhala Jannatahu wa Linafsihi. So after he said this to his companion, he entered back into his gardens and orchards, such that he was a person who had done injustice and oppression and wrong to his own self. Colin, what did he say? مَا أَظُنُّ أَن تَبِيدَ هَذِهِ abada That I don't think that this gardens of mine, these orchards of mine, will ever, ever, ever perish. That's what he thought. Okay. And then what did he say? Even more than that, he said, And وَمَا أَظُنُّ سَاءَةَ قَائِمَةً And I don't think that the day, the hour will ever come. I don't think that the hour will ever come means the day of judgment will ever actually happen. And if wala in ruditu ila rabbi, that if I which would ever be returned to my rub, means if it ever does happen that the day of judgment come, then surely I will find even a better place of return. I will find a better place than this to return to. So kalulahu sahibahu. So then, as they were speaking, then his companion said back to him, yahavidhu while they were conversing. That do you disbelieve in that being who created you from the elements of this earth, thumma min nutfatin, and then formed you from a drop, thumma sawaka rajulan, and then he formed you and fashioned you into a complete, um, complete man? Lakinna huwallahu rabbi, but no, no, but indeed that being who you are disbelieving and denying in, he is Allah, he is my Rabb. وَلَا أُشْرِكُوا بِرَبِّي أَحَدًا And I do not ascribe any partners or associate anyone whatsoever with my Rabb. Okay. Then he told them that so the same companion, person number two, says back to person was, when you entered your garden, instead of saying what you said, that it's going to last forever, it will never perish, I don't even think the day of judgment will come, what you should have said, you should have said what? كُلْتَ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ لَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ You should have said that, indeed, Whatever I have is what everything is. Everything that I have is due to the will of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and there is no power or might except Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So you're saying in this surah, Insha Allah, Masha Allah, La Quwata Illa Billah. Then the second thing he told me, Interni Ana Akalla Minka Malan Mawalada. That now, if you are estimating me, or viewing me, or considering me to be that I have less. <coughs> than you both in terms of money and I have less in terms of you than in terms of children. But know that indeed that time is close that when my Rabb will give me what is better than your garden. And Allah, my Rabb is going to send a calamity and a punishment and afflict your garden with a punishment from above. And He will turn it into a barren land. Or what may happen is that the water will sink deep into the depths of the earth so that you will never be able to search it out. It means that it's going to be flooded your garden will be submerged underwater. So then what happens? So now verse number 42. 
And indeed then all of his fruit and his crops and produce were overwhelmed and engulfed by disasters. And he stood wringing his hands in lamentation and anguish over all of the time that he had put into it. And then those orchards uh, collapsed on their own trellises. In other words, I explained this to you, trellised are those vine type growth that have to be attached to some type of lattice framework. So those types of produce and vines and orchards that he had collapsed on their trellises. And then he said, now he realized, وَيَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِي لَمْ أُشْرِكْ بِرَبِّي أَحَدًا That, oh, woe to me, now I realize, I wish that if only I had not ascribed any partner to my Rabb. وَلَمْ تَكُنْ لَهُ فِئَةٌ And he had no supporters to assist him against Allah SWT. No supporters other than Allah SWT who could assist him in any way. Nor was he able to defend his own self. Hunalakul walaya. And at that time you should know that Hunalakul walaya to lillahil haq. And at times like that when a person is afflicted with a calamity or difficulty, that indeed the benefaction, benefactory power and protective help lies only and only with Allah SWT, al-Haq, the true Allah. هُوَ خَيْرٌ ثَوَابًا وَخَيْرٌ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best in giving reward and He is in the best in fulfilling an outcome or decreeing an outcome for a person. Alright. So the whole purpose of these two men, these are two men from the Bani Israel that Sayyidina Rasulullah was mentioning as an example. And this was that basically the people who are rich and affluent, they think that because they've been given so much in this world that these riches will last forever. And this world will last forever. And because they're so emotionally attached to their wealth, they can never imagine being separated from it. So it's inconceivable for them that the hour, a sa'ah, a day of judgment will come, which will separate them from their wealth. And so it leads a person even, it's showing how mal, excessive wealth and money, and reliance and love and adoration of that money, can lead a person to disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right, so if you look how the companion that spoke back to me, spoke to him very clearly. He said, look, that not only everything you have Allah has given you, He gave you your very life. He created you from nothing. He created you from the earth and from a congealed clot of blood or a drop of water. So He tried to, as you would say, right? He tried to remind Him of the humble origins of every single human being. Right? And then He also advised Him that what should be your attitude, that you enjoy the wealth that you have, but you should view that it came to you only due to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And la quwwata illa billah, that you didn't have any power inherent in yourself by which you attained or achieved or accomplished this wealth that led to this garden. Alright. That's how we've come to this. Now, in 40, now um, verses 45 250. Now Allah tells the Prophet coin another example for them. dunya, And you should then now coin to the example of this very life of this world, of the worldly life. And what is it that Allah sends water down, i.e. sends rain down from the sky, by which all of the plant life, the vegetation of this earth grows and flourishes by being mingled with that water. And then after that, all of the, those vegetation plant forms, they wither away. They wither away, they become debris, right? That is simply carried uh, away and blown away by the winds. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
has control over everything. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has absolute power and control over each and everything. That know that wealth and sons are nothing other than the mere uh, the adornments of the life of this world. Are adornments of the life of this world. And those good deeds that last, those good deeds, salihat, good deeds and virtues and acts that will last, they are best khayrun in the rabbika, they are best in the eyes of your rabb, both thawaban wa khayrun amala, that they are best in terms of the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give, and they will be best in terms of creating good hopes and expectations in you for the future. And then remember that day, Allah Ta'ala says, that when we will make the mountains fly. That it means that we will make the mountains. You will see them moving swiftly. And then we will gather all of humanity together. And what will happen? Not a single soul of them will be left at all. They will be gathered without any omission, without any exception. And they will be presented in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ordered rows and ranks. And Allah ta'ala will then address them and say the following. Allah indeed I have brought, we, indeed you have come and been brought in front of us in exactly the same manner that we had created you in the first time. But instead, however, you thought, you mistakenly were of the opinion that we would never ever make an appointed time for you. I, you thought that there was no sa'a, that, there, that this promise of the hour would not come true. Then Allah Ta'ala says that the book of days will be placed before each and every person. And then each one will see who are the guilty sinful criminals from amongst them. And they will, the guilty scriptures will be scared of the, what is contained in their book of deeds. And what will they say? And this is another famous statement in Quran. That what is it about this book? It does not leave anything out. Neither has it left out the slightest of thing that I've ever done, Sagira. Nor has it omitted the enormous grave actions that I used to do. Illa ahsaha, except that it is enumerated and recorded each and every single thing that I did in my entire life. Allahu Akbar, that such a book will be put in front of us. Every single thing, no matter how small or large that we did, will be in that book. And they will find every single thing that they did present and recorded in that book. And indeed, Allah, you know that your Rabb will not wrongfully, will not wrong anyone, will not slight anyone, will not uh, oppress any single person on that day. Okay, so this is verse number 49. Here, much can be said here, but I'm going to go further, right, because we want... To read the story of Sayyidina Musa Islam. Verses number 50 onwards. With Kunal Malaika to do okay, this is something we've done in detail already. And remember that time that when we, Allah SWT, told all of the angels that they should make sajda to Sayyidina Adam Islam. And they all made sajda except for Iblis, 
Kana minal jinni. So I told you this was coming. Kana minal jinni. Iblis was from the jinn. He was not an angel. He was a jinn who was present there. He was from of the jinn. And therefore, Allah Ta'ala is also explaining here. Like we did earlier, I did that I with you. The angels do everything that they're commanded. So if Iblis was an angel, it would not be possible for him to do anything other than what he was commanded. So what does it mean? Illa Iblis also explained, Kana minal jinn. He wasn't one of those angels who do everything as they're commanded. He was a jinn. فَفَسَكَ an amri rabbihi. And what did he do? He rebelled against the commandment of his Rabb. So then Allah Ta'ala addresses us. أَفَتَتَّخِذُونَهُ That do you all take him, that Iblis, وَذُرِّيَتَهُ And his progeny or his assistants and his helpers. أَوْلِيَاءَ مِنْ دُونِي As your awliya other than me, as your patron, benefactors, intimate friends instead of me. وَهُمْ لَكُمْ أَدُوبٌ And all of them, Iblis and all of his minions are nothing other than open and manifest enemies to you. بِئْسَ لِلظَّالِمِينَ بَدَلَى Indeed, terrible is this vile, what a vile substitute he is, what a vile thing the ظَالِمِينَ have substituted. They substituted Allah Ta'ala, they substituted Iblis for Allah Ta'ala. What a vile substitution the ظَالِمِينَ have made. مَا مَا أَشْحَدْتُهُمْ خَلْقَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And indeed I have not made them, witness, I do not make them the witnesses of the creation of the heavens or the firmaments and the earth, nor of their own creation. I was not such that I should take the ظَالِمِينَ as helpers. What does it mean that these ظَالِمِينَ have, مُشْرِكِينَ مَكْمَكَرَمَ have believed in all types of false gods. And Allah saying, none of them have I ever Ever they were not even a witness, they were not even present when the world was created, and nor were Allah Ta'ala says that I take any help from them anyway. Fifty two Nadu and remember that day when Allah SWT is going to call upon tell these people that call all of those people who you thought were you who were purportedly my partners, right? And so they will call them, they will actually try. They will actually try. They will actually be on their shirk, even on the Day of Judgment. They will actually make du'a and call out, فَدَعَوْهُمْ They will actually make du'a and call out to their false gods. They will actually make that call. But what will happen? فَلَمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا لَهُمْ However, all of their false gods will not respond. None of their false gods will respond to them at all. وَجَعَلْنَا بَيْنَهُمْ مَوْبِكَ And indeed, Allah SWT says that we will put a barrier uh, between them. Alright. What al-mujamun al-nara that we've done all of these passages before that the wrongful, sinful, wrong, sinful wrongdoers will see the fire of Jahannam and then they will have absolute yakin that they will be uh, tossed into it and they will not find anyone to rescue them from it at all. Verses 54: And did we have undoubtedly uh, expounded upon and explained many, many things in this Quran, the uh, nasi for all of humanity, min kulli mathal, and we in all types of ways. al insanu akthara shay'in jadala, and then from all of creation, humanity is the most argumentative, the most disputing, the most mujadala, the one who doesn't accept easily. They will always make some type of argument, some type of excuse. And what it is that has prevented humanity from believing after the fact that Allah Ta'ala has sent this hidayah to them. And what has prevented them from that from seeking the forgiveness of the Rabb. 
except that uh, what has prevented them from seeking the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead what they want is what used to come to earlier people should come to them. In other words that they want some type of punishment to come to them. Or that a punishment should come to them face to face. Allah Indeed, we have not sent prophets and messengers except as bearers of glad tidings or as warners to those who choose to disbelieve. And, and however, the disbelievers, they raise disputes against the, these unbeyond Mursaleen in order to eradicate, right, in order to eradicate the truth and to establish batil. And they make a mockery of the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they make a mockery of the verses and signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well of the warnings that have been given to them. Who can be more unjust than he who has been advised and admonished with ayati rabbihi, bi ayati rabbihi, with the verses of revelation from his Rabb, but still turns away from them even after receiving those ayat, right? So this is a very scary way to conclude, right? Right? That وَمَنْ أَدْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ فَأَعْرَضَ أَنْهَا That who is there who is more unjust, who can be more of a wrongdoer than that person who has listened to the nasiha and admonishment and counsel of the verses of revelation of their Rabb and even and thereafter still ignores them and still spurns them until turns away. وَنَسِيَ مَا قَدَّمَتْ يَدَاهُ Have they forgotten what they have sent forth? In other words, are they forgetting all the actions that they have already done, that all the things that they have done in life that have already reached Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? All the things that they have done that have already reached Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, we have put covers on their hearts that bar them from understanding because after they continued, after they after a long time they refuse to heed it. The Allah says, We ourselves put covers on the hearts that borrow them from understanding the Quran. We created deafness in their ears that prevents them from being able to hear it. And if you, my beloved Nabi Yukrisim, call them to guidance, even then they will never ever adopt the right path. Alright. And know that your Rabb is all forgiving and the being who is the embodiment of mercy itself. That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were to take them to task and call them to account based on all of the things that they do, then indeed He would have. He could have caused a punishment to fall upon them swiftly and much sooner. However, they have been promised a muhla, their time has been appointed to them, they've been granted a reprieve until the end of time. But when that end of time comes, when the day of judgment comes, then lam. Okay, they will never ever, they will not find any, any sanctuary or refuge, uh, from the coming of the appointed time from the hour. Okay, then I'll tell them, mention the things we had done earlier. These are the towns that we destroyed when they were oppressive and unjust and they transgressed and we appointed a time and stipulated a term for their destruction. Remember, now comes verse 60 onwards, the story of Sayyidina Musa Salman Khizr, which is what we wanted to spend. More time on, right? Okay. So verses 16 onwards. Net next major story is the story of Sayyidina Musa Islam and Khizr. So what happened here is that uh, you saw earlier in the surah that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had told Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala recently told Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that don't say anything unless you say Insha Allah, right? 
So that is the rupt between that and the reason why the story of Musa Samachizra is placed here. So there are many, many Sahihadith in Bukhari and Muslim that are given a lot of commentary on this story. What happened was that once Sayyidina Musa Sam was addressing the Bani Israel. And after he addressed them, then somebody from the Bani Israel asked him a question. That is there anybody who has more ilm than you, O Musa? And Sayyidina Musa Sam responded that there's nobody who has more ilm than me. Now in of itself, this was a proper statement because he was the Nabi of the Zamana. He was Nabi of Zaman. He is the prophet of the time. And so in that sense, he was trying to assure, and let to be fair to Sayyidina Musa Sam, don't forget your Surah Baqarah, don't forget what type of people are asking him these questions. So he's trying to put them in their place and saying, nobody has more ilm than me. Right? But still, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to actually create a whole thing. So what happens that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that moment, immediately revealed to Sayyidina Musa Sam, oh my Nabi, indeed there is somebody on earth who doesn't necessarily have more knowledge than you, but who we have granted the knowledge the like of which we have not granted you. We have granted him certain knowledge, the like of which we have not granted you. So Sayyidina Musa Islam, now this is also a good story for the youth, because all the circumference for, I mean, for everyone, right? <laughs> for those who are ending youth and those who are never-ending youth, if you understand the difference in that. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, this is a story that Sayyidina Musa had a deep desire for ilm. He was a talib. This is also then something that the youth need to have. Right? And they have it in terms of economics and other subjects. They're supposed to have it for deen, ilm of deen, and ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he was so desirous for ilm. So immediately, the second Allah ta'ala revealed to him that, O Musa there's somebody who have given knowledge, the like of which you don't have. He said to Allah subhanahu where can I meet him? Where can I meet him? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that, okay, you can go meet him at the congruence confluence at the meeting of the two seas. And what you should do is you should take a dead fish with you. And when you reach the point where you can meet this person, then the dead fish, the sign I give you, the dead fish will come back to life and jump into the sea. And when the dead fish comes back to life and jumps into the sea, then you will realize that you have reached now the latitude and longitude where this person can be found. Alright? Okay. So what Sayyidina Musa Islam does is now what's going to happen. He says to this young man, so let's look at this now. With Qala Musa le Fatahu. So when Sayyidina Musa Islam said to a young man, now who is this young man? So this young man is actually also a prophet. This is Sayyidina Yusha Salam. This is Sayyidina Yusha bin Nun. Sayyidina Yusha bin Nun alayhi salam. Alright. So, the, this is another lesson of Surah Kaf, that when you travel, it's always good to take a traveling companion with you. And Sayyidina Musa Islam, you took another prophet with him. <laughs> he took another prophet with him. So now you know at least of three prophets who are living together. Contemporaneously, Sayyidina Musa Islam, Sayyidina Harun Islam, and Sayyidina Yusa. Now, why didn't he take Sayyidina Harun Islam? Because one can surmise, although it's not mentioned explicitly, one can surmise that poor Harun Islam has again left the terrible task of babysitting this Bani Israel. Right? So he takes Sayyidina Yusha Islam. But in Quran, his name isn't given, it's just mentioned as a young man. What then does Sayyidina Musa Islam tell this young man? So he tells him that I'm not going to give up, I'm going to keep walking. I'm not going to give up and I'm going to keep walking until I reach that point which is the meeting point of the two seas. Even if, now what should he say? Even if, oh, amdiya huqba. Huqb means long period of time. You can translate this, even if I should go on walking for eons. Eons is the way I would put this in English. 
He's put years. Hukub is that even if I travel, even if I keep walking for eons and eons, so much talab ilm, Allahu Akbar, so much desire for ilm, that I'll keep walking and walking even if I go on for eons and eons and eons. And why did we say after this ilm? Not for the sake of a degree, not for the sake of promotion, not for certification, not for recertification, because it was ilm from Allah. Allah Ta'ala said that there's somebody who I have given ilm to. So it was ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ilm of deen, ilm in janabillah. So even Sayyidina Musa Islam, the Nabi of his time, is willing to go on walking until he reaches the convergence of those two oceans, even if it means he has to walk for eons and eons, years and years and years. Okay, then the next ayah fast forwards the story and says, and they reached, when they reached the convergence of the two, then what happened? They forgot that dead fish. <laughs> they forgot their fish. And it fished, so the fish jumped into the sea and made its way into the sea like as if it was carving out a tunnel. Now, maybe they were forgot because they had been traveling. We don't know how long they were traveling. Maybe they were traveling for so many years that they just forgot about it. Right? They could, it would be difficult to watch that fish every moment of the journey and see when does it come to life and jump into the sea. Alright? So then they kept going. So they go further. So verse 62. So when they proceeded even further, right? Uh, so Sayyidina Muslim then told the young man that bring us our breakfast. That's what it is. Bring us our morning meal. Is bring us our breakfast. So ye behave, right? Nashta bara ahem mile. Yes? Right? For me, I'm crazy about nashta. Our dad appeared, Hazrat Khaja Khalama Birate from Atate, Ke Nasta Vokhana, Jododa Fakhaja Sakta. Or Hamne Esper Amalan Kia, Amal Vikia. So bring us our morning meal, bring us our breakfast, right? Okay. And what did he say? He said to them, Because why indeed uh, we have a lot, means uh, Lakad. Lakina min That indeed we have a lot, we've grown weary and tired, we have a lot of fatigue from this journey of ours. So maybe suggest also that he has so much talab of ilm that they've been walking through the night. Because if in the breakfast time you're already weary, if at breakfast time you're already weary from the journey, means either you've been walking straight from tahajjud time maybe, from tahajjud up to 9 a.m. So much talab for ilm. Okay. So now, uh, right, so he told them that. So then he replied, uh, the youth, Mensena Yushal Islam, replied to the verse number 63. He said that, don't you, don't you, didn't I tell you that when we stayed, there was earlier a rock or a boulder that they stopped by it. By staying at it means they took some shelter by it, right? A big boulder provides a bit of a canopy. You can pitch camp over there. So when we camped by earlier at that rock, I forgot the fish. Oh. I forgot the fish. And then what does he say? Now look, this is shaitan. Look what shaitan is doing something to Musa salam and Sayyidina Yusha salam. Shaitan kisi ko nahi chorta. So what does he say? وَمَا أَنْسَانِهُ إِلَّا الشَّيْطَانِ That there is no, none other, no one other, none other than shaitan made me forgot it. أَنْ أَذْكُرَهُ That made me forget too, made me forget it. And also you can say, maybe forget to relate to you that I forgot it. And what happened? What takhada sabilahu fil bahar? That it actually jumped into the sea and it made its way ajaba in an extremely wonderful, amazing manner. So actually Sayyidina Yusuf had seen the fish go into the sea. 
But shaitan made him forget it and he just kept walking along with Sayyidina Musa Islam. Kaysa Khadim, right? So this is what happened, right? The shaitan, sometimes shaitan does this, he attacks the Khadim. In Nukta, huh? Nukta and Suluk. Shaitan will make the Khadim forget something. Hmm? So, okay, no problem. Sayyidina Musa Islam, verse 64, Kala, ذَلَكَ مَا and he says, okay, well that, that was what we were, we were, that moment we were looking for. We were looking for when the fish would jump into the water and make its way into those oceans in an amazing way. So what did they do simply? They just went back and Allah athadihima, they retraced their steps. They went backward to retrace their steps back to that rock. So at least then Yushasam had remembered that this happened during the rock. And when they retraced their steps, فَوَجَدَ أَمْدَمْ مِنْ إِبَادِنَا Then they found أَمْدَمْ مِنْ إِبَادِنَا Again, this is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is high status. Remember we just saw in the very beginning of Surah Kaf, right? Allah abdihi, to the abda, uh, ab, the servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. So what did they do? They found an abd from, they found a servant and slave from our servants. Atainahu rahmatam min indina. That we had granted him and bestowed upon him a mercy from our own selves. وَأَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا ilma, And we had sent down a knowledge upon him from our own, from Janibillah. Ladun means Jan. So this is why I mentioned to you this once before, although this is known as Ilmi Ladunni. And I will just tell you, but I may, I may if I get a chance to talk about this a bit more later, there are differences of opinion amongst Mufassirin, Muhaddisin, Awliyai, Kamilin, Siddiqeen, whether Khizr was a Nabi or a Wali. Was he a Nabi? Or was he a non-Nabi, was he a Wali? The Mashaykh that we follow, and even my own feeling as well, is undoubtedly that he was a Wali, he was not a Nabi. That's why you're going to see us say Sayyidina Musa salam and Sayyidina Khidr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Alright. And if you accept that he was a Wali, then this also shows that Allah Ta'ala sends His Rahmah on His Awliya, and He also can send some type of what is called Ilmi Ladunni on those Awliya. Alright? Okay. So here, so this is what, uh, so they found Him, so what is Musa says, same same time, so this is verse number 66. So Sayyidina Musa something goes up to Him and says, Akallu Musa, Hal attabi'uka, Nabi of the time is saying, can I do ittiba of you? Can I follow you? Can I keep your company? Why? So that Allah, on, on this condition, for this purpose, that you teach me that knowledge, that special knowledge that you have been given right, as form of rightful guidance. So that person replied, his name is Khizr. So what does he reply? He says, إِنَّكَ لَن تَسْتَتِيَ sabra." You will never ever be able to have the patience to travel with me, to be with me. You will not be patient about the things that I do. You won't be able to do it. اب میرے شاگرد نہیں بن سکو گے. آپ کے اندر ہمت ہی نہیں ہے. And he's saying this too. Remember Sayyidina Musa, legendary Jalal of Sayyidina Musa Islam. وَكَيْفَ تَصْبِرُ عَلَى مَا لَمْ تُحِتْ بِهِ خُبْرًا And how will you possibly bear, how will you possibly have the sabr to bear with things that your comprehension will not be able to grasp, which you won't be able to understand. Okay? So what to say in Musa Yisam Kala سَسَتَجِدُونِ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهُ Sabira, A big inshallah here. سَسَتَجِدُونِ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهُ Sabiram. 
Indeed, hopefully, by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will find me to be sabir, to be a person who is patient. Wala a'si laka amra. And I will not disobey anything that you do. I will not disobey any order that you give. So Kala, okay. So Khizr said, okay. فَإِنِتَّبَعْتَنِي That okay, if you must, if you will, right? Uh, well, if you follow me, then what you should do? فَلَا تَسْأَلْنِي Don't ask me unshayin about any single thing. حَتَّى أُحْدِثَ لَكَ مِنْهُ ذِكْرًا Until I myself make mention of it. Until I myself, I myself inform you of it. Okay. Now what happens? So they both, they both fantalaka. Now the two of them. This is the beauty of the destiny. If you can enjoy that, fantalaka. And now the twain of them proceeded onward, and the two of them moved forward. And what did they do? So they moved forward and they boarded a boat. When they boarded a boat, and then they were sailing in that boat, and all of a sudden, well, what did what did Sayyidina Khizr do? Then he uh, he made a hole in the bottom in the planks of of the boat. So Sayyidina Musa Islam then turned to him and he said, Akharaktaha, have you made a hole in it to drown the people? Are you trying you made a hole in it in order to drown the people of this boat? Lakan Jitashay an Imra. Indeed you have done a terrible thing. You have perpetrated a terrible deed. So Kala so Khizr said to him, Alam Tastati Amaya Sabra. Didn't I tell you that you won't be able to have sabra with me? That you won't be able to bear with me. You, I'm going to be doing things that you won't comprehend. You won't understand. So immediately, Kala Sayyidina Musa said, La tuhakhidini bima nasitu. That don't take me to task with that which I forgot. I forgot, I forgot. I forgot that I told you. I, I wouldn't say anything. Sayyidina Musa salam, His jalal. Look what he's saying to Khizr. Where is our Khizr? Huh? <laughs> Sayyidina Musa salam, jalal. Allah ajeeb. This Qur'an shows these people, human beings, are extremely dynamic range of emotions. So, so much talab of ilm, what it's showing here, is that for the sake of acquiring ilm, a person can change their own tabiyat, their own mizaj. If the Nabi of the, Nabi of the stature of Sayyidina Musa salam, can change his very own tabiyat, his very mizaj, for the purpose of getting ilm that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we tell you, is ilm ki bari naaz nakhre. Right? Okay. So he says that don't don't take me to a task, don't call me to account for that which I forgot. So what did he attribute this to? Now what does Sayyidina do? He doesn't accept that he lacks sabr. What he says rather it was his nisyan. What he says rather that he forgot. He forgot that the, he forgot that he pledged himself to sabr. Right? And then he said to Wala Tur Hikni min Amri Usra. So then he says to uh Khizr and saying, Don't make things too difficult for me, don't make don't be too harsh with me. Don't be too harsh with me, don't make things difficult to me. Say to Musa I'm pleading with somebody not to make things difficult for him to be harsh for him. Allah Akbar. Fantalaka and then the surah continues. That's literally the feeling. Fantalaka now and the two of them proceeded onward. That's 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 how Allah is trying to make it feel. And now the two of them proceeded onwards. Hatta ida lakiya gulaman. Until now the two of them met a young boy. Right? They met a young boy. Now what is he going to do? So what, what does Sayyidina Musa Islam mean when he said that don't make matters difficult for me? What he meant is that give me another chance. Don't separate me. Don't make me mahroom from the ilm that you have. 
Don't put that difficulty on me. Don't be harsh with me and place me in the difficulty of being deprived of the knowledge that you have by separating me from your company. That's what he meant by this. That's what he meant. Okay, so they continue until they met a boy. When they met a boy whom Khizr then proceeded to kill. Now Qala, so Sayyidina Musa Akatamta, Nafsan, Zakiya. That are you you just killed an innocent soul? You just killed an innocent person. So in the same thing said, nafsin, and that person had not taken another life, right? So in an undue and unjust way, like a jitashay an nukra. Now you have perpetrated a tremendous wrong. You have done a tremendously evil thing. So what is saying? What does he respond? Kala, alam akul laka innaka lantastati amaiya sabra. Did I not tell you? that you are not going to have the requisite sabr to bear with me and to be with me and to bear with the things that I do. Qala in sa'altuka, oh Sayyidina right? That if I ever ask you anything, if I utter a peep, that's the Bamahar English translation, if I utter a peep after this, if I ask you, in, even if I in the slightest of way ask you any single thing after that, فَلَا تُسَاهِبْنِي then don't associate with me and let me associate with you. Don't keep this companionship up. Don't allow me your company. Right? Ajeeb. Kad balakta min ladunni udra. And now look, now you have received a good, you, you've got my excuse. You've received an excuse from me. Alright? And in some ways also, he's also saying that look, I've given you a way out. Now, now I've pledged myself that I realize that, that I'm not, the first time he said that don't separate me don't make it difficult. Nice and if I do it again, separate from me. Fantalaka, ta ta ta. Right? And the two of them proceeded onwards. Hatta ida ataya ahlakayatan. Until they reached the particular people of a town. And they asked the people of the town to give them some food. Fa'abo. And the people of the town refused to host them, refused to give them any food. So then they left that town on the way out. Then what did they found a wall? Uh, not necessarily on the way out, but they moved away from those people, and then they they came upon a wall, and that wall had, how can I put this for you? They came upon a wall that was on the verge of collapse, was leaning down, was tending to fall down. So what did Khizr do? Khizr engaged in hard manual labor. He rolled up his sleeves and he started doing things to pick the wall up, maybe picking up some rubble, picking up some pieces of stone, changing right the structure of that wall. He straightened it. Now when Sayyidina Musa sees Khizr doing this, so he gets upset. He, gets, he doesn't join him. He doesn't get him. And then he gets upset and he tells them, the call of Sayyidina Musa tells him, لَوْ شِتَّ that if you had wanted, that you could have taken some wages for this, some payment for this. Right? You could have taken some wages for this. So this, if you think about it in the three sentences, this is the lightest sentence he said. Before he said, you've done an evil deed. When, when, when Khizr put a hole in the ship. Then when Khizr murdered, killed that young boy, he said, you've done a tremendously evil thing. And here now he just says something light that, you know, you could have taken money for this if you were going to do it. Kala, what does Khizr say? Hada firaqu baini wa bainik. This is the parting between you and me. This is the end of the line, buddy. Hmm? This is the parting between you and me. 
And now I will tell you and inform you, right, of the meaning and why did I do what I used to do? Ta'wil, right, remember Ta'wil al-Ahadith, I will inform you the meaning and explanation of all the things uh, that I was doing. Alright, okay. These are very famous words, by the way, هَذَا فَرَاقٌ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنِكَ People shouldn't use them, however, uh, in wrong ways of parting, but this is, there's a lot of lessons here. Let me first explain, let me share with you, let's go straight and do uh, the explanation, and then when we come back, inshallah, and we'll do those lessons. Alright. Verses 79 onwards. First of all, as far as the boat is concerned, so it belonged to some poor people. As far as the boat is concerned, it belonged to some poor people. And it was their means of living. In other words, they used to ferry people to and fro. So the boat was their means of living. They were transporters, right? They used to ferry people to and fro. So what does Khazar say? He says, I deliberately wanted to make it defective and damage it because there was a king across the way from them. And what that king used to do is he used to capture and seize every boat by force. So I knew that, what does he mean here? So what he means here is that now a comment, he means that I knew that if he came upon this boat and I had damaged it, then he would overlook it and he wouldn't take it and he would let them keep their boat. And later on they could always go and patch up their boat. So this way they're able to keep their boat. So what he actually did was a good thing, but it seemed like it was a bad thing to do. Then the second incident, right? So the second thing, so now this is verse number 80. As, as far as that young man is concerned that I killed, now, and we have to come back and comment on this, right? Because this is a very deep thing. His parents were believers. His parents, فَكَانَ أَبَوَاهُ مُؤْمِنَينَ His two parents were believers. However, فَخَشِينَا However, we feared that يُرْحِكُهُمَا وَكُفْرًا We feared that he, mm, that he would impose his rebellion and kufr upon them. So the young man was an unbeliever. The parents were believers, and we fear. So what does this mean? It means that uh, what Khizr is saying is that we fear that he would impose re- rebellion and infidelity upon them. Uh, so I'll explain this in a bit later. But it, there was a fear that because of the boy, the parents would first engage in sin, and then they would lose their iman. And I wanted to save the iman of the parents. Okay. So what does he say? Then we therefore wish, we intended, فَأَرَدْنَا أَن يُبَدِّلَهُمَا رَبُّهُمَا that we wish that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Rabb, would give his parents someone better than him. That his parents, so this is uh, something for the children to be scared about, right? Khairum minhu in what? Zakatan wa akraba ruhma. That who is better than zakat, doesn't mean zakat, it means better in tazkiyah. Better in tazkiyah, better in purity and piety, and more, more endearing in affection. More endearing and affectionate to them. Alright? Allahu Akbar. I mean, this is, this, this is the strongest ayah actually in the Quran about how good a child has to be to parents, that there has come a time in history and Allah Ta'ala commanded that a young man who is an unbeliever and who is going to be a torment and trial for his parents and even then be a means of causing his parents to go into sin and even maybe even make his parents lose iman, Allah Ta'ala ordered the wali of his time, Khizr, to kill that young man. And Khidr's understanding also is that Allah Ta'ala then would replace him, replace that son, 
with some son who is better in tazkiyah, better in purity and piety, and more endearing in affection. Now Allah tells us may not do that with us, right? But it means that we should always think daughters and sons both, that we should these are the two attributes Allah Ta'ala wants us to have. Number one, tazkiyah, you see? Number one, first thing is taqwa, that we should be pious and pure and good to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, we should be endearing in affection to our parents. These are the two attributes that a person should have. Okay, so verse number 82, as far as the wall, as far as the wall is concerned, it belonged to two orphan boys in the city. And beneath, underneath that wall lay a treasure that belonged to them. Lay a treasure that belonged to them. وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا And their father was a pious man. Their father was a pious man. So their orphans means the father's passed away. Means it's some treasure property of the father that the orphans haven't received yet. So then what did he say? فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ Now, I will explain this to you later. فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ And indeed your Rabb intended أَن يَبْلُغَا أَشُدَّهُمَا that your rub intended that when they reach their age of maturity, and then, then they should dig out their treasure as a mercy from their rub. So what does it mean that I was raising up this wall lest it buried the treasure away from the reach of them? And then he says to him at the end, وَمَا فَأَلْتُهُ أَنْ أَمْرِي And so I didn't do this of my own accord. So this is the interpretation and the meaning and the reality of all those things about which you were not able to be patient about. Alright. Now let's go back and comment on this story. So first thing again, remember that Sayyidina Musa Samit first told his people that there was no one more knowledgeable than me and Allah Ta'ala revealed that yes, there is a servant of mine who has more knowledge. And when he meets him and engages him, he says that he will have sabr. Then in each of the things that uh, Khizr did, Musa Islam questioned him about it. And at the third thing, Khizr said, this is our parting. Now there's a large number of things. And I think they may hit number 38. 13, 38 lessons that the Mufassirun have taken out from this one short story. Right? First one. First one over here, first nukta or ma'arif, is that you will see that when Sayyidina Khidr did three things, two of them we would view them to be bad, and one of them is good. Damaging property is bad, killing someone is bad, rebuilding a wall, that's a good thing. So for the two things that he did that was bad, if you look at the Arabic of the text, what did he say? He said, فَأَرَدْتُ It was my irada. When he talks about damaging the property. And then, again, when he kills the boy, he says, فَأَرَادَ uh, No, when he kills the boy, he says, فَأَرَدْنَا Again, it was my irada. However, when he says about the rebuilding the wall, he says, فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ Your Rabb intended that this should happen. So he attributed even the outwardly things that were bad to himself. Even though in reality, all of this was ilm that was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to him. In all three cases, he was doing nothing other than what Allah ta'ala told him to do. But because he could tell that Sayyidina Musa Islam objected, and outwardly it seemed to be wrong things, so even though he was acting on the instructions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
the two things that were outwardly apparently bad, he said that it was my irada, and the third one, which the outward thing was good, he said it was Allah's irada. This is what we call the adab of the awliyan anbiya with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a whole topic, and you can, you know, the book of our shaykh is available, Ba'adab Ba Naseeb, and he has highlighted in the first few chapters that we, how much in Quran it's revealed the adab that these people had for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way they talk about Allah, the way they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was his immense adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the first marifat. Second marifat is that there's something that is called ilmikul and there's something called ilmijus. Ilmikul means to know every single thing, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that. Ilmijus means some partial knowledge. So the Anbiyan Mursaleen, no matter how great their knowledge is, they don't have knowledge of everything. And this, this story is an example of that. It's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Al-Adeem, who has knowledge of every single thing. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of all that is unseen. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Alimul Ghayb. The Anbiyan Mursaleen have portions of knowledge. Entirety and totality of knowledge lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Third lesson is what I mentioned to already, that it's better not to travel alone. That when Sayyidina Musa some got this revelation that there is going to be a person like that and you should take this fish, so he decided to take a companion with him. Just like that, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, although he had a whole jamaat of khuddam, when he also went and traveled on hijrah, he took one companion with him, and that was Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So sometimes a person makes such a journey in which even one companion is sufficient and even one companion is in fact more appropriate. Fourth lesson is that in the Hadith in Bukhari, uh, there's a Hadith in Bukhari that mentions in his written in his Kitab al-Tafsir about the story of Sayyidina Khizr. And he's mentioned the same Hadith in Bab al-Ilm on the Fazilat or of seeking Ilm of Talibin. And that is that number one, a student should go himself to the teacher. If you want to get ilm, it's the job of the student to travel to the teacher. This is what used to happen in the old days, right? And if you look in the Muhaddisin, they used to travel all over the Islamic world to even sometimes get one hadith, they would travel far away. So mashallah, all of you traveled here, right? And you came here to learn ilm. However, many times we also do travel to spread that ilm. Uh, but it means that traveling for the sake of ilm of deen is a worthwhile thing to do. Number five is that age does not matter in seeking ilm. Sayyidina Musa Islam was of a very mature age at this point, probably in his 40s or 50s. No matter how old you are, you should acquire ilm. Nor does maqam, nor should somebody's maqam preclude them from sitting as a talib. There is no maqam of insan greater than a nabi. And there's no maqam of a nabi greater than nabi zaman. So the lesson is that no matter how high your status or stature is, you should always be ready to become a talib of ilm. Right? Number six, that there is no harm in learning from somebody who is lower than you in status. Like I told you, Khizr was a wali. And Sayyidina Muslim was a nabi. But for the sake of ilm, so whether somebody lower than you in age or lower than you in status, there's no harm in learning from somebody like that. In fact, that is part and parcel of... uh, Let me just explain a little bit why we say that because Sayyidina Muslim was the Nabi because he was given the wahi. And we've done that for you before in Surah Bakr and elsewhere. And Khizr is not getting wahi, is not getting scriptural revelation, nor is he calling people. He's not doing the work of Nabuwath. He's not calling people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So that is why it seems more rajih, more plausible that he was a wali of his time. 
Right? I'll give you another example in history like this, where people who are higher in status took aim for those who were lower than them. So Sayyidina Hassan al-Basri, Rahimahullah, was amongst the Tabi. But he was such a great faqih that even the Sahaba of Basra used to take fatwa from him. They didn't think they were Sahaba and you're Tabi. No. They knew that you're a faqih and we're non-faqih. You have the ilm of fiqh and we don't. Right? So this is also a fascinating thing for us to learn. If Basran Sahaba can do taqlid of one tabi in Basra, so there's no way anybody can suggest that doing taqlid, the non-mujtahid doing taqlid of the mujtahid, that there's anything wrong in that. Number seven is that the students should not be lazy. You have to do a lot of mujahada to get that ilm. Like Sayyidina Musa Hassan, that I will travel eons and eons if that is what it takes. And there's a hadith by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah that says that he traveled 80 years. Allahu Akbar. 80 years. Allahu Akbar. 80 years. Number 8. Hmm? Number 8. Number 8 is that in Sahih Muslim there's a hadith where Sayyidina Abu mentions that when Allah SWT sent this revelation to Musa Islam, that there is a servant of mine and we have given him some knowledge that you don't know, etc. At that point, it means that Sayyidina Musa Islam knew that his name was Khizr, right? Uh, so, uh, so the word Khizr, because you haven't seen the word Khizr here. The word Khizr, the name is come in the Hadith of Sahih Muslim, right? And also in Hadith in the Sahih Bukhari. Now why was this person's name Khizr? Because Khizr comes from Khazara, which means green or verdant or lush, right? Verdant and lush. And it would mean that actually they say that he was a person of such barakah that when he would sit at a place which was barren, that due to the barakah of his sitting there, the whole place would become lush with vegetation. And this has been understood then by the people who comment on this hadith, that because he was a wali, so that is the nature of the awliya, that wherever they sit, then the whole gathering becomes lush and populated with the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number nine. Number nine is that when Sayyidina Mulsaysam is traveling, but when they miss the point where the fish was supposed to jump into the sea and they go onward, right, uh, Okay, this is actually number nine is that if you remember that he said, what did he say? That he said that bring us our breakfast, we've gotten weary, right? And then Sayyidina Yusha said that okay, we already lost the fish. So when Nukta the Mufasrun took out, is that whenever you're doing suffer for a maqsad in deen, as long as it's for that maqsad, you will not grow weary. But the second you exceed the purposes of that journey, then Allah Ta'ala will make weariness and fatigue overcome you. So the actual reason for the weariness and fatigue was because the maqsad of the journey was no longer there, because now they were wandering aimlessly. The maqsad ended at the boulder. So they also say that whenever you make a journey for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, as long as you remain khalis and mukhlis for the purpose of that journey, no weariness and fatigue will overtake you. But when you start to divert or you do something else, then the weariness and fatigue will come upon you. Number 10 is that Sayyidina Musa Islam has uh, mentioned to his companion that take out from the bag our morning meal. So this shows that it's not against tawakkul to make provisions for a journey. Sayyidina Musa was a Nabi of the time and he also packed his food for the journey. <laughs> he didn't say Allah tawakkul, jo miltai khate, sufi bante, right? No, he had packed food for the journey. So it shows that tawakkul is something else. Tawakkul doesn't mean leaving the asbab. I've told you this before. Tawakkul means making use of the asbab, but 
trusting that the outcome will always be based on the will and the wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number 11, very important lesson for us, right, is you should not rebuke your khadim. If you actually see Sayyidina Musa Sam didn't get upset with Sayyidina Yusha. He didn't say that you wasted so many days. You're saying the fish jumped in the ocean all the way back there, right? He didn't reprimand him. And this is actually, this is an incredible sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam. The Sayyidina Anas, radiallahu ta'ala anhu mentions that he spent I can't remember how many years, X number of years in the service of the Prophet and says that though I made many a mistake, and though I, I made many a mistake, Sayyidina Rasulullah never ever scolded me in a harsh tone. Never ever. This is a very high level. Very high level of adab and akhlaq not to do that. Alright. Number, next number, next lesson, 12, is that When Sayyidina Musa Islam first meets uh, Khizr, what did he say? He said that if you give me a part of the knowledge that you have been given. So this means also that sometimes a person can be a student of a teacher and take something from them. They may not be able to take everything from them. Number 13 is that Sayyidina Musa Islam was a Nabi and he had been given the Sharia, he had been given Torah, he had been given Wahi. He had all of the knowledge that was necessary for him. and But he still wanted more. So it shows that a person can learn knowledge that is not necessary if it is still knowledge of deen. So you shouldn't think that, you know, right? The classic Pakistani line, right? And yes, it may not be necessary for you. It may not be necessary to learn everything, but it shows that this is also a precedent and a principle that if knowledge is about deen, if knowledge is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the true lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which obviously Sayyidina Musa was, is not going to confine themselves to just what's necessary. They're going to want to try to learn everything they can about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they want to learn and discover any and every knowledge that has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this shows a thirst, what we call a thirst, an unquenchable for thirst for knowledge, that knowledge that is about Allah or from Allah. Number 15, is it 14, is that when Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khizr meet, so you can see that there is a discussion. So that shows that a teacher can set conditions and prerequisites and rules of engagement for that person who wants to be their student. Right, this is the Dalil and Quran. Right, so there can be certain principles and procedures upon which that teacher-student relationship is going to take place. Number fifteen is that there has to be munasibat. There has to be munasibat with the teacher and student. Now, Khizr saw. I mean, this was Khizr's perception that there was no. There's not going to be munasibat. He saw it at the outcome, but it means that you can admit someone to probationary status. You can admit them as a probational student. If you don't see Munasbat initially, you should try to give them a chance. Number 16 is that when a student forgets, so Sayyidina Musa Islam forgot the rules. He, he forgot the rules that he agreed upon, right? With Khizr. So when a student forget, if they seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness for that, then they have to be forgiven. One or two slips can be allowed up to a certain point. Not necessarily, the limit is not necessarily three. But the lesson is that a teacher should allow some violation of rules and not 
remove the student at the first instance of violation of rules. How many should be allowed? Is it set at three or more? But it means a person should be given more than one chance. Let's put it that way. A person should be given more than one chance. Hafiz ibn Hajar Ta'ala, very great muhaddith, the greatest alim in the history of this ummah of the Sahih Bukhari. He comments on this when he's writing on the hadith, commenting on the hadith about the story. That when Sayyidina Musa made this promise, he made a promise, he actually made a promise to Khizr, right? That he would bear with him with patience and he wouldn't. Uh, and so that is what it means. He actually says that this type of teacher-student relationship which is formed by means of a promise and pledge, so this is a formal relationship and this has sabut in the sharia from the story of Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khizr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Then when Sayyidina Musa told him, uh, Khizr, that after the second slip, that okay, if I slip again, you don't have to keep me as your companion anymore. Right? Actually, uh, normally, it's the student who should pull out. Normally, as we say in the Islamic tradition, the right of divorce lies with the student, it doesn't lie with the teacher. The right of divorce lies with the student, it doesn't lie with the teacher. But when Musa said that, that okay, if I slip again, then you don't have to keep me in your company anymore. So he created the right of divorce that he gave to the teacher. Alright? Okay. Then this famous sentence, so there's a great lesson here that if two people separate, if any two people separate, they should clarify. So what happens was that after Khizr said that, then he could he could have said, okay, that's it, we go on ways. No. He said, this is the separate, this is the parting of ways between you and me. But before we separate, let me clarify everything so nothing is left ambiguous, there are no misunderstandings, nothing is left hanging, nothing is left pending. This is one of the very important lessons of Surah Kaf. That if two people ever go, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's two friends, whether it's a teacher-student relationship, if two people ever part, decide to part ways from one another, they should part on good terms. They should clarify everything <coughs> so there are no misunderstandings. <coughs> so there are no misunderstandings, there are no misgivings. There are no misgivings. They should part with a clean heart. They should clean up everything. They should part amicably. Lesson number 20 is that even though a person's own conscience is clear, even if they know they're in the right, still sometimes they should explain to other people so that a misperception is not created. For example, Khizr was getting ilham from Allah SWT. So he knew he was in the right. There was no need for him to explain to Sayyidina Musa Islam. But again, that's how important it is that there should be no misunderstandings, no misgivings, that things should be clarified. So even if you know you're absolutely on the right, even then you should do ra'ayah and be considered the other person and explain to that other person so that they can understand as well. Lesson number 22 is that a lesson that when you are traveling, it is permissible when traveling to ask food from the locals, this is not considered as begging, this is considered in the Islamic tradition etiquette that the traveler does have a certain right over the people who are residents in a particular place. So this is not that they were begging for food, this is considered a completely permissible thing to do. Next thing that they've also mentioned is that when Sayyidina Musa told Khizr that when you raise this wall, you could have taken a wage for it. So it also shows that it's permissible to ask for remuneration or to give monetary compensation for any type of khidmat. 
any type of khidmat. So if a person is doing khidmat, they shouldn't feel that if the person wants to give me a salary, right, uh, they shouldn't feel that, no, no, I shouldn't, that's not allowed. And or I will lose the swab of khidmat. Alright, number 24. Hadith in Sahih Muslim Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam said that if people are mistreating you, or if people are not being helpful to you when they could have treated you well, they're being neutral, even then you should be kind towards them, and that is the virtuous trait that Khidr had. That the people didn't give food, right? But even then he did a kindness unto them. 25th lesson, this is in Sahih Muslim. And that was that I told you that Sayyidina Musa used the strongest words, right, for the second act that killing the boy. And the reason that because he was a Nabi, and a Nabi is what we call Sahibu Sharia. He's the bringer of Sharia. And so this was an act that is against Sharia to kill somebody, right? So to, for him to witness a murder was one of the most grave offenses. Uh, and certainly it would offend the sensibility of Sayyidina Musa salam. Now comes the question that why did Khizr do that? This big issue of why did he kill that young man? Because we would certainly think that okay, if there's a young man who's not a believer and he may cause a difficult time for his parents, he should not be killed, right? He should not be killed. So this is this very fancy topic, which I'm actually quite surprised Mufti Takiyaswan has decided to actually spend two pages on this. This is known as what they call Takwini Umur and Tashri'i Umur. Tashri'i Umur means all matters that are governed. This is the norm, default position that they are governed by the Sharia. That they, every matter and decision will be begun by the Shri of that time. Taqwini umur refers to Allah subhanahu wa command, kun fayakun. Right? Now when Allah ta'ala makes something happen, Allah ta'ala is not bound by the Sharia that He has made us live by. So, Khizr being a wali of Allah subhanahu wa was, was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa to be a sabab for carrying out what we call certain taqwini umur. In other words, it was the wish of Allah subhanahu wa that that boy should no longer live to torment his parents. How would that wish be executed? Allah Ta'ala could have done that in many ways, right? Allah Ta'ala could have just made him fall, suffer from a disease. But Allah Ta'ala chose to make what we call that taqwini umur, make his will and decree be fulfilled through the suburb of Khizr killing him. So Khizr was nothing other than just another suburb of death, such a disease coming on somebody or an accident coming on somebody. So it was not a shari thing, it was a taqwini thing. All right. Then, okay, I mentioned that nukta to you about the adab as well, about the irada, right? In the hadith, Nabi Akram mentioned that in fact, indeed, those two parents got a daughter. This is a very interesting thing to see also. That those two parents, when he said that, I hope that Allah Ta'ala will give those two parents some better replacement than that boy, right? One who is more tazkiyah, who is more zakiyah, who is more pure and pious, and one who is more endearing in their affection. So Nabi Yaqtim mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then after this happened, those two parents gave birth to a daughter. And that daughter was an extremely pious woman, and she was streaming affection to them. And then she became, she, that daughter herself gave birth to a nabi. So these parents who were at this stage the parents of an unbeliever, they ended up becoming the grandparents of a nabi. And how did that happen? So by, the, by sacrificing a son who was a disbeliever, they got a grandson who was a prophet. So this also shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works in mysterious ways, right? He can make all types of people born from all types of families. And another lesson, by the way, uh, is that a pious daughter is better than an unpious son. A pious daughter is better than a non-pious son. Right? And 
overall then the lesson from that is the pious child is better than the non-pious child. Number lesson 27 I think is from verse 82 very important lesson that why did Khizr rebuild that wall? وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا Because their father was a pious man. And some of the Mufassirin say that Abu can be used for those of you who said to fool Majazan. It can mean they're literally their father or can mean any one of their forefathers. One of their ancestors was, had left some treasure. So what is it showing here? That this is what we call the barakah of a person's forefathers. That these youth, there's nothing mentioned about their piety, that they're salih. There's nothing mentioned about the orphan's piety. But because their father was pious, because somebody's ancestor was pious, the wali of the time is engaging in hard manual labor to lift up that wall, and he expected the nabi of the time to do it as well. So this means, this is what we call barakah. It's a lot of barakah to have pious predecessors and pious forefathers and pious ancestors in our family. And some of the Mufassirun say that Abuha was their seventh generation. Seventh, with the great, 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 great grandfather. Seven generations. So for seven generations that treasure lay under the ground. And who knows if anybody was Saleh or not for those next six generations. But if seven generations earlier there was even one pious man, then that is enough barakah in it that Allah Ta'ala makes the wali of his time and expected the nabi of his time to engage in manual labor for the sake of those orphans. Number 28 is that Hadith al-Bukhari that Nabi Yisrael said that the people of ilm and the people who have a desire for ilm, who are they? They're the ones who always get sad when ilm goes away. When knowledge is lost, when a scholar dies, for example, the Prophet said in Hadith that the way Allah Ta'ala will raise up knowledge from this earth is by He will raise up scholars from this earth. Right? And indeed, many great scholars have passed. You will not find the like of them again. Even the scholars that you see today, when they pass away, you won't find the like of them tomorrow. Right? Uh, here, I just mentioned it quickly. A very famous event. This is also... Uh, in the that Nabi Karim Sallallahu said uh, I mentioned this to you earlier on the door that the night the Allah Ta'ala was going to reveal when the night of Laylatul Qadr is to the Prophet when Laylatul Qadr is to the Prophet but when he came out of his hudra he saw some Sahaba Ikram quarreling and when he saw that they were quarreling uh, at that moment Allah Ta'ala took that ilm back Allah Ta'ala took that ilm back and the Prophet said to the Sahaba that because some of you were quarreling, Allah Ta'ala took that ilm back. Right? So this is sort of the, this story is the opposite of this. Right? That because of the barakah of those predecessors, these youth orphans, they got some benefit. Just like that, if we quarrel, then we can lose ilm due to a lack of barakah. Alright. In Hadith in Sahih Muslim, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that if only Sayyidina Musa had been patient, he would have gone on with Khizr and seen many, many more surprises. <laughs> he would have continued on with Khizr and seen many, many more surprises. Allahu Akbar. Right. And then after saying that, Sayyidina Rasulullah made dua for Sayyidina Musa. And the Hadith ends with a dua for Sayyidina Musa. Alright.
And in the third one, when I told you when he was ex- making the three explanations, when Khizr explained the third incident, which was the erecting of the wall for the sake of getting the orphans their monetary treasure, and he said that this is what your rub wanted, so actually that was the greatest tasalli as well for Sayyidina mm, Musa Islam. When Sayyidina Khizr said these words, فَأَرَادَ Rabbuka, That your rub wanted this. So Sayyidina Musa Islam, obviously being a Nabi of Allah, being a lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he heard that this is what my Rabb wanted, that is in what absolutely cleared everything in the heart and mind of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. Alright, I'm going to skip a couple of these things. Uh, okay, maybe I'll just ask this question. I, I'll, I'll answer a question that sometimes people ask. That if Khizr was a wali, and Sayyidina Musa was a Nabi. And this incident is establishing that a wali can go against the Sharia of a Nabi. So can that happen today again? So the answer is no. And the answer is what we did for you earlier in the Quran as well, that all of the Anbiya were sent to their particular communities. And so Khizr was outside of the community of Musa Islam. Therefore the Sharia of Musa Islam did not apply to Khizr anhu. However, Nabi Karim Sassam has been sent to all of humanity. There is no wali who lies outside Shariati Muhammadi. Therefore, not from the time of the Prophet Sassam, not today, not until the Day of Judgment, can any wali ever do anything against the Shri of Sayyidina Rasulullah In fact, their wilayat lies only and only precisely in their adherence and observation to the Sharia of Sayyidina Rasulullah Another thing is that is Khizr alive? It's probably bought discussion here. Ibn Hajar Asqalani has spent about 18 to 20 pages in his Al-Ishaba, Fi Tamiz Al-Sahaba. He spent about 20 pages discussing the various different reports as to whether Khizr is alive, or at least at his time, was alive or not. Because you have certain people who in Islamic history have claimed to have met him. You have certain people who have claimed to have met him. Oh, not. So it's a long discussion, right? Whether he's alive or not. But different people have claimed to have met him. Uh, Allah knows best, right? Whether he's still alive or if he's not alive. But one, the one, the only thing I will mention to you about that is that the fact that people after the Prophet have claimed to have met him is also one of the arguments for those who say that he's a wali. Because if he was to be a nabi, and people met him after the Prophet ﷺ, then that would not be possible because Nabiya Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam al-Khatam Nabiyin wal-Mursaleen, he's the last and final Prophet and Messenger in every way and every sense. So there's no way that Khizr could be a Nabi if people had actually met Khizr after the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And whether he's alive or, not, alive or not now, I don't know. But I do think that there are credible reports from some of the early Muslims that they met him. So he obviously had a very long life and he was definitely... In my opinion, definitely a wali and not a nabi. Okay, verse number 83 onward. Verse number 83 is going to be the next story, and that is of Dhul Karnain. Remember the third question that the Jews and Christians told the Mushrikin of Makkah Makarama to ask them, be a Christian, that ask him about Dhul Karnain. Right? So. 
وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنْ ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ And they will ask you, my beloved messengers, about ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ قُلْ سَأَتْلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْهُ ذِكْرَى That I will shortly tell them that I will just shortly, I'm just about to recite to you an account of that. I'm just about to do talawah to you about an account of that. Now literally ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ means a man of two horns. Right? Now this was the title that was given to some emperor, some ruler. Now why was that title given to him? It's not known 100%. And the full identity is not made clear in Quran al Some, like I told you, think it's Alexander the Great. Some think it's Cyrus of Persia. He was a particular ruler of Persia. Allahu Alam. Some say two horns because he wore a uh, crown, right? Or a crown or a helmet that had two types of horns on it. Some say the two horns means that it refers to the east and the west. That because he's going to travel all the way from the east and all the way to the west, right? Uh, that, that is why he's called the Qurnayn. Many, these are all views, no single view has any preference over the other. But Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, إِنَّ مَكَّنَّا لَهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ That indeed we gave him, or we bestowed upon him power and kingdom on earth. In other words, he was made a king. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is saying that he was made a king. Alright. But just so you know, my own personal view is that it's not Alexander the Great. Uh, which is Alexander of Macedonia, otherwise known as Alexander the Great, I don't feel that Dhul-Karnayn was Alexander the Great. But again, Allah Ta'ala knows best. Allah Ta'ala knows best. Another meaning of Dhul-Karnayn is Karn means century. So some say that his kingdom lasted for 200 years. Some say that it's because his kingdom... Uh, lasted 200 years. And some have even said, the last few I gave, some have even said that he wore an imama with the two tails hanging, but they would hang on either side because that was the way of the Jews. Sayyidina Musa Islam used to wear a turban, but for him, this copper was a bit short, but he used to have two here. Therefore, if you ever go to New York and you go to Brooklyn, and you see the Hasidic Jews, they have curly locks they keep here. That is the remnant of the Imam of Musa a.s. Actually, Sayyidina Musa a.s. had an Imam that had two, ta- two tail pieces hanging from the sides. That's why the Orthodox are called Hasidic Jews. They're in London as well. I've seen them in London and New York. They have these long curly... Khalil must have seen them. Right? Long curly locks that they have hanging here. That's what's all that's left of their Imam. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so we granted him power and kingdom on earth and we granted him the means to have every single thing that he wanted. We granted him power to have every single asset. What did he do? He followed a course, he followed a road, he journeyed on a road until he reached, verse number 86, until he reached such a place where the sun sets and he found it setting in a black spring and he found a people who were settled nearby so we told him, so this is suggesting, and some people have even, I don't want to go into that, some have even tried to suggest that he was a prophet. But here, uh, either he was a prophet, or like I told you, Allah Ta'ala can address the non-anbiya, but Allah Ta'ala says, وَقُلْنَا That we said to him, يَا ذَلْقَرْنَيْنْ O ذَلْقَرْنَيْنْ إِمَّا أَن تُعَذِّبَ وَإِمَّا أَن تَتَّهِذَ فِيهِمْ that what are you going to do? Either you're going to punish them, either you punish them, 
or you adopt a good behavior with them. So what happened is that he had conquered this area and this area was inhabited by disbelievers, right? And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving him the option that do you want to show kindness to them or do you wish to punish them? And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about the second option? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh, sorry, sorry. So he said, as for him who does zulm, as for the zulm, he who does wrong, then he says that we will punish him. And then we will return him to his rub. Means that we may even punish him with capital punishment. And then when he's returned to his rub, for you adhibuhu adhaban nukra, and then his rub will punish him even more severely. As far as the person who believes and does good deeds, man amana wa amina saliha, falahu jaza al husna, then that person will have a beautiful reward in this world and in the akhirah. And min amrina yusra, and we will speak to him politely and gently in all of our matters and on all of our affairs. Then, thumma taba'a sababa, and then again he journeyed on a road and he continued uh, on his course. Alright. Now he reached the place where the sun rose and he found it rising upon a nation to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that we had not made any shelter for them. Right? This is suggesting that they, in, it's also that we did not give them any veil from the sun, any sitr, any covering from the sun. This is suggesting that they were savage tribes who were living in, without any dwellings. They didn't even have tents or mud houses, they were just living out in the open. So he traveled there and he encountered this nation, right? Okay. Kadalika, and thus it was, and we surely have knowledge of every single thing that the Karnain possessed. Whatever wealth, equipment, property, possessions did he have. Then again he journeys onwards to verse 92, then he continues onward on the course until he reached a pass between two mountains. And he found, وَوَجِدَ And he found thereby uh, a, a, a community a qawm. and that community la they could barely not understand they were almost unable to understand anything that was said so they have no tafakku right they're not able to understand so what does this mean this means maybe these were some type of nomads barbarians stone age people right with very little comprehension, with rudimentary mental capacity, and maybe they were terrified of this ruler or this army that had come to them. So they Kalu, Ya Karnain. So what did they say? They, this group, which was shattered, this is a community that is living in fear. Who are they living in fear of? They're living in fear of this famous now. You love this stuff, Yajuj and Majuj, right? Batanga Ajabko, who are they? Right? It's my own tahkik. I'll just tell you up front because I can't wait to tell you myself to the Caucasians. To the Caucasians. Right? And some people think that this is a modernist of Seer, but if you do a lot of research, and one of my friends in Birmingham, Mufti Sajad, he's actually planning, he's actually writing an entire book on this topic. And he shared with me his research, and it was quite extensive and quite convincing. And it suggests that Jaj and Majuj are Caucasians. One element of that moved westward, and they're like the Brits and the white Europeans, and another element moved eastward, and they became the 
Caucasian Russians, right? And if you look in the history of humanity, then really it's these two nations, Western Europeans or Russians, that have really waged a lot of a lot of war, a lot of death uh, in this world. But here, so this this is a historical thing. So this community, who were dumbfounded, who were confounded, who were in a state of terror, who could barely even understand what he was saying to them. They were so terrorized by this group. So they told Zulkarnain that Yajuj and Majuj, they're mufsidin, mufsiduna fil ard, that they're spreading fitna and fasad and corruption and sedition and anarchy on this earth. Right? They're mischief makers on this earth. So what do we want? So is it possible that we collect some tithe from you and collect some money on you, we, sorry, we collect money for you, we will all give you a tax, so to speak, on the condition that what? That you erect and construct a barrier between us and them. Make some type of barrier between us and them. So he said, Dalkarnain said to them that, okay, the power and authority that my Rabb has vested in me is better. In other words, I don't need the tax that you're giving me. Dalkarnain is a believer, right? He's a mu'min, mu'min ruler. So he said that all I don't need money. All I need is give me some manpower. It says that fa'ainuni bikuwatin. But military means give me some strength. It means give me labor. Give me labor to build that wall. And then what will happen? Aj al radma. I will erect between you and them a fortified wall, a fortified structure. Then he said to them, utuni zubar al hadid. That bring me large pieces of iron, right? Which they did. Then what, when these were leveled between the two mount, between the two mountains, the two cliffs and the mountain passes, he said to the community, "Then blow onto them," and then they didn't blow onto it until it was made like fire. In other words, it means he melted that iron. Then it said, "Bring me molten copper to pour over it." So he poured copper on top of it. Then he says that they, they means Jaj and Majuj, they were not able to scale that wall. So it's a wall made of iron that has copper melted over it. Neither were they able to make a hole in it. So then, so he successfully did what they wanted. He made a barrier between them and him, which they were not able to penetrate. So then what did he say? Verse number 98, he said, قَالَ هَذَا رَحْمَةٌ مِّن رَبِّي That indeed this is a mercy from my Rabb. فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ رَبِّي جَعَلَهُ دَكَّاءَ That indeed if a, uh, whenever the promise of my Rabb comes, he will level this wall to the ground. He will make this wall enter the ground. Alright. Now here is one of the major areas uh, of, of dispute on this issue. People classically seem to have thought that this wall, this barrier, this iron and molten copper barrier between Jaj and, keeping Jaj and Majud hold away that's only going to come down on the Day of Judgment. But actually, there's nothing in the Qur'an that is saying that that barrier will only come down on that day. And in fact, when, when that book comes out, he's actually done a lot of research in which he suggests his view, Mufti Sajjad Sahib's view, is that the wall has come down. It has come down and Allah Ta'ala's decree has passed. And second thing is that people seem to think also that Yajuj and Majuj are like not humans. This is also some, this is a general misconception people have. That there's some type of other creatures. That there's some other type of race. No, no, they're human beings. They're humans, right? They're humans. And there was, there was some type of warring type human race 
that were clearly terrorizing this other community that Zulkarnan came upon and he walled them away and they were so maniacal. I mean, you can imagine them if you want to be like orcs and goblins and stuff, them trying to scale the wall and put a hole in it. You can imagine that, but they were humans. The younger kids know what I'm talking about here, right? <laughs> you can imagine them like that, but they're actually humans. They're actually humans, all right? Now, Allahu Alam, right? Allahu Alam. Uh, here, so where were we here? So we're on verse number 99. And then on that day, the, to here, the, maybe the confusion people get is that verse 99 is talking about the Day of Judgment. Verse 98 is talking about there will come a promise of my rub when the wall will, be, wall will be shattered to pieces and the promise of my rub is always true. It doesn't mean that verse 99 is talking about verse 98. It doesn't mean necessarily that that promise will only take place on the Day of Judgment. Because when the Day of Judgment comes, the whole world will be shattered to pieces. It's nothing specific about that wall. When the Day of Judgment comes, the whole world is folded up and tossed away. Right? However, so, this, so if you want to accept this tafsir, then between 98 and 99, you fast forward. So 98 is talking about there will come some time on earth when that wall will be shattered. It will not be shattered due to the might of Yajuj and Majuj, nor due to other, any other human power. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree will cause that wall to shatter, and then they will be able to migrate. And if you look at the history of the Caucasian people, there was, and I can't even remember what he showed me on these maps, but there were certain mountains that they came from, the Caucasus Mountains, and they've migrated out from there. And for a long time, they were just living in those mountains, and then it comes a period in the history where they migrate outward from there, east and west. Allah Allah knows best. Okay, and on that day, on the day of judgment, we will leave the criminals and the wrongdoers and the oppressors to rally against one another, to rail against one another, to surge over one another. And then on that day, the horn will be blown. And then we will gather all of them together. And then Allah Ta'ala says, and on that day of judgment, And then we will present and place Jahannam in front of the disbelievers. And these are those people whose eyes were veiled. Who were veiled from what? On dhikri, from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَانُوا لَا يَسْتَتِيُونَ السَّمْعَةِ And they were also unable to hear. They were also unable to hear. Alright. This is all that Allah subhanahu wa actually mentions in Surah Kaf about Dhulqarnay. That's it. It's a very small story. Very small. Few, I don't even count it. Few, very few number of ayat where Allah subhanahu wa talks about this. Alright. Now, some discussion of this. Right? So, Ibn Hajar Skalani, he feels that Zulkarnain was a Nabi. Others have felt that Zulkarnain was a Wali. By the way, this is also why I told you this can't be Alexander the Great. Because Alexander the Great was not a Nabi. And he also wasn't a Wali. Right? So, Zulkarnain is somebody else altogether. Right. Some Ibn Hajar Skalani has given lots of different names, possible names as to who Zulkarnain may or may not have been. But all of these are, uh, none, none of these are absolute certain uh, pieces of knowledge. 
When Allah Ta'ala first said about in the story that first he journeyed to the west, right? So then he must have encountered many, many territories. He must have conquered many, many territories. And he would have brought them all onto Iman. Right? So this shows that even before the Sahabic Ram, you see there were certain expeditions that took place in the time of the Sahabic Ram when they marched their armies westward across North Africa, into Spain, into Europe, right? Southern to Southern Africa, etc., etc. This has happened before. This is a Mu'min ruler, Zilkarnain, and he marched his armies all the way to the west, and he conquered all of those lands, and he brought them all into Iman. This black spring, or he's translated as murky or miry spring, what does it mean? It doesn't mean, so it doesn't mean. Some modernists try to raise a question that how could he travel to the place where the sun sets? The sun doesn't actually set. So by saying black spring, if you've ever been to been on a boat and seen an ocean or a big lake, it looks black. The surface, although if you take out the water, it's clear, but on the surface of it, it looks like it's all black. So probably he traveled to the end of some continent, right? And then, when you, and if you've ever, and I've actually done this, I have seen a sunset on a lake, and it's almost like an ocean, and it seems as if the sun is setting into the water, right? That is how it's going to look like that the sun is setting into the water because the horizon is that black body of water, which is the ocean and lake. So that's all it means, that he traveled until the end of a continent, and the sun then, he could see it set uh, into, uh, it was actually sit, setting into the ocean, all right? So obviously the sun doesn't actually set into the ocean, but that's how it seems to the eyes, and that is how people speak, right? Just like the stars you look at in the sky, many of them have already died. They don't exist anymore because they were millions of light years away from you. It took millions of years for their light to twinkle in the sky. They may not even be there. But nobody talks like that so accurately scientifically. Everybody talks as if they're looking at stars that exist, right? Okay. In there, then we so we mentioned that in the journey to the west, he encountered a nation of corrupt unbelievers, and Allah Taala gave him the choice whether he wished to punish them or whether he wished to be gentle to them. So he said, "Whoever accepts iman will be gentle with them, and the person who persists by rejecting to disbelieve, we will punish them." Then he makes his journey to the east, right, and he goes to a place where the sun rose. So suggests that he must have gone all the way he could have again to the end of whatever that continent was. And he would have then seen the sun rising on the horizon. Right? It doesn't mean he literally made it up to the place where the sun was purportedly rising. Okay, when he said to bring me large pieces of iron, some have said this is like slabs of iron. Some have said it's bricks of iron. But basically the wall was milt, built by putting this iron together and the melted copper was what seemed those iron pieces together. The melted copper is what seemed those iron pieces together. And when he did all of this, he said, this is a mercy from my Rabb. So he didn't claim it as his own accomplishment. He attributed the construction of this immense fortifice to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right. Another thing I'll tell you is now some hadith. Some hadith, one hadith in Muslim is that Sayyidina Rasulullah some that Qiyamah will never come, the day of judgment will never come until ten signs appear. One of those ten signs are the emergence of Yajuj and Majuj. But again, it doesn't mean that that sign will come right before the day of judgment. If I say that, look, you're never, if I tell a five-year-old kid that you'll never be an economist until you do so many things, 
It doesn't mean that the second they do it, they become an economist. It means that these are prerequisites, right? So Jajim Manjut could have already come out. It doesn't mean that the day judgment is going to appear immediately, all right? However, on the flip hand, and I, this is something that he has said he is going to tackle in his book, there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim that does suggest that Yajuj and Majuj are actually somehow imprisoned until a very late stage because it's actually mentioned that when, that after Dajjal is killed by Sayyidina Isa then Allah subhanahu will send Wahi to Isa and say that, O Isa, I will now release such servants of mine against whom no one can fight. Right? And those are Yajuj and Majuj. So Mufti Sajjad's answer to this hadith was that the Arabic word here doesn't have to be translated as release. It means that I will make musallat on you. I will inflict upon you. It means that after the Jal kills Isa Islam, then, uh, sorry, oh, uh, after Isa Islam kills the Jal, after Isa Islam kills the Jal, then who is going to attack Isa Islam, the Caucasians? So he still holds by his opinion that they're not constrained, but now they will be sent. They will be sent against. And then what he says is that therefore, take the, and Allah Ta'ala continues, the Bahi to say Muslim. So therefore, Isa Islam, take all the believers to Mount Tur for safety. And then when Allah Sponsor release them, the word that comes, they will scurry down every hill. Means their numbers will be so large that the believers with Isa Islam, even though Isa was able to kill Dajjal, their numbers will be so large that they won't be able to. They won't be able to fight back with this Yajuj and Majuj. So then what will happen is the Mu'mineen will all be gathered in this mountain valley of Tur and they will all be making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself destroy the Yajuj and Majuj and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then will afflict them with the disease and then that disease will make them die and then when they come out they will find that their bodies are everywhere and the stench of their bodies is so much that there will be no uh, single place which will be free from that stench then Allah Ta'ala will send a large number of birds and those birds will come and they will one by one take away those corpses and Allah knows best where they will take the corpses to. Alright? I think that's enough about them for you. So a couple of hadith from Bukhari and Bukhari Nabi Muhammad said that on Day of Judgment Allah Ta'ala will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell Sayyidina Adam salam to separate the people who are going to Jahannam and those who are going to Jahannam. So when Sayyidina Adam salam will ask how many are there going to be, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say that for every thousand people, from every thousand people, one will go to Jannah and 999 will go to Jahannam. For every thousand people, one will go to Jannah and 999 will go to Jannah. And then the hadith, again the hadith is in Bukhari, the hadith continues that the Prophet said that upon hearing this, every youth will turn white, 
Every nursing mother will forget her suckling infant and every pregnant woman will have a miscarriage. And you will see people in a state of absolute, they will lose their senses. They will lose their senses when they hear this. So then the Sahaba Ikram, then after the Prophet said this, they asked him that, well, who is going to enter Jannah? If only one from if only one from every thousand people will enter, so then the Prophet that accept the glad tidings that that one of the thousand will be from you, Mu'mineen, and the nineteen and the rest of the thousand will be from the Yajuj and Majuj. The rest of the thousand will be from the Yajuj and Majuj. This hadith has been understood by the Muhaddisin to suggest that the Yajuj and Majuj have a lot of numbers. Therefore, some contemporary people, just because China has the largest population, they like to think that Yajuj and Majuj are Chinese. Yes, yes, I've seen that. People think like that, right? Allahu alam, Allahu alam who they are, right? Uh, when that book comes out, we'll order some copies from England here, and then you can read it. I've not read the book. He just presented some of his ideas to me. Allah knows best, right? Allah Taala knows best. Okay. Now let's end this surah kaf. Now the surah kaf is going to end now. Verses one o two to one ten, right? Yes, verses one o two to one ten. أَفَحَسِبَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَنْ يَتَّخِذُوا إِبَادِي مِنْ دُونِي أُولِيَاءَ إِنَّا أَعْتَدْنَا جَهَنَّمَ لِلْكَافِرِينَ نُزُلًا That do the disbelievers think that they can uh, disbelievers think that they can take my own ibad and Allah Ta'ala saying that my servants and slaves Minduni, instead of me, they can take my servants and slaves as their olia, as their patrons and benefactors and protecting friends. Inna, surely indeed, that we have prepared the fire of Jahannam as Nuzula, as a, you know, you can say as an entertainment, as a, as a, yeah, as an entertainment for the disbelievers where they will be amusing or entertaining or occupying themselves for all of eternity. And say to them, Shall we not inform you of those who are the most of the losers, the greatest rulers and losers in terms of their deeds? They are those who all of their works and efforts and striving will go to vain in this world. Well, all the time, what were they thinking? That they actually thought that they were committing virtues and good deeds. Who are these people? These are the ones, They are the ones who deny the verses of revelation of their Rabb. And they deny that they will ever meet him. In other words, they deny the concept of the Akhirah. So all of their deeds will be null and void and will come to nothing. فَلَا نُقِيمُ لَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَزْنَا And their deeds will have no weight, no value at all attached to them on the Day of Judgment. ذَلَكَ جَزَاءُهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ These are such people that that is, will be their punishment, the punishment of Jahannam. Why? بِمَا كَفَرُوا Due to all of the things that they disbelieved in, due to all the types of kufr that they adopted. And وَاتَّخَذُوا آيَاتِ وَرُسُلِي huzuwa That they used to take the verses of my revelation and used to take my prophets and messengers as a joke. They used to mock and ridicule the verses of revelation and they used to mock and ridicule the prophets and the messengers. 
However, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَآمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ كَانَتْ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتُ الْفِرْدَوْسِ نُزُلًا As for those who believe and do good deeds, they will have جَنَّاتُ الْفِرْدَوْسِ نُزُلًا And they will dwell therein and entertain themselves and occupy themselves therein forever. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا And they will live in there forever. <coughs> and they will never ever want to leave it. They will never even desire to go any place other than that. Alright. This is quite self-explanatory. Here we have this notion of Jannat al-Firdaus. So Jannat al-Firdaus in Hadith al-Bukhari has been mentioned that's the highest level of Jannah. Above it lies only the Arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually given the good tidings of Jannat al-Firdaus just for actually a very simple Quranic category, Alladina amanu wa amilu salihat. As opposed to awliya, siddiqeen. These are also words that come in Quran. So it means here that in the shara that if Allah Ta'ala's mercy should have it, even a person who does has iman and amal salih, even they can enter into Jannatah for those. Then the last two ayat of Surah Kahaf, and remember we had mentioned to you the last ten ayat, also in that hadith is having a fazilat. So that was the ayat from 101, where did it go? 101 to 110, right? So that means these last 10 ayat are all the ones that are talking about the akhirah and about jannat and jahannam. So verse 109. That say, my beloved messenger, that if the ocean, and here can be understood that all of the oceans, were in fact this ink for the words of my Rabb, then in fact the oceans would be depleted. All of the water of the ocean was ink. All of the oceans would be depleted. When? Kabla an kalimatu Rabbi Before the words of my Rabb can end. It means Allah Ta'ala's Rabbs, our Rabb's words are endless, infinite, limitless. And even if we were to supplement all the oceans with another set of oceans, even then the ocean's water would fade out and still the kalimat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would still remain. Cool, so say to them, my beloved Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, innama ana bashrum mithlukum, that indeed I am but a human being like your own selves, yuha ilayya, and revelation is revealed to me. And what specifically? That annama ilahukum ilahu wahid. That indeed that your ilah, your God is none other than the one God. فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ And whomsoever yearns to meet their Rabb, فَلْيَعْمَلْ أَمَلًا صَالِحًا Then such a person should be sure to regularly and perform good deeds and righteous acts, both in worship and both with other people. وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحْدًا And they should make sure that they don't associate or ascribe any partners to their Rabb. They should not associate or assign or ascribe any single being as a partner to their Rabb. So here is then this khulasa kalam that Nabi Akrim Sassam is taught by Allah SWT to teach us that if we want to, so first thing is we should be people who yearn to meet Allah. This is an emotional feeling that we don't have. We can read it in Arabic, we can read the translation, we can listen to the translation, but this is talking about a feeling. That a person emotionally feels a yearning to meet Allah SWT. And until and unless a person has that, it may be difficult for them to do amal salih So emotions drive actions. 
So if a person wants to have the action of doing a'mal salih they have to try to inculcate inside themselves the emotion of yearning to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those people who have that emotion, that they yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then they do good deeds, and they don't do any shirk, then indeed they will find that they will meet their Rabb in such a state that Allah Ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. Before I make dua, just one announcement uh, that for us, for this year, for the men, the door of the has ended for this year and inshallah we will resume at some other point in this year. And we have left to do for you Bani Israel, which was actually the earlier surah, surah 17. And then we'll continue onward with the relevance from Maryam, comes after surah Kahf. However, for the women, uh, women and Marduk uh, the women will be continuing from tomorrow. And so tomorrow's class, I just wanted to announce that tomorrow's class timings for the women are a little bit abbreviated. Tomorrow's class will be 2.30 to 4, in which only the surah Bani Israel will be covered. And then from Saturday until the rest of Ramadan, the classes will be at the same time, 2 to 5. So tomorrow there's a bit of an abbreviated class for the women, which is Friday, tomorrow, 2.30 to 4. Uh, and the women would already know, but my wife will inshallah be completing the Qur'an al-Kareem with the women. And inshallah, if Allah ta'ala gives us life and strength and sanity and himmat, we will try to come back to you one day and complete it with you and with them if they wish to attend that as well. Right? Subhanallahumma وَشُكْرِكَ وَحُسْنِ إِبَادَتِكَ وَتَلَاوَةِ كِتَابِكَ يَا أَلْحَمَ الرَّاهِمِينَ Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we come to you in this month of Ramadan. Ya Allah, half of this month of Ramadan is almost past. Ya Allah, we are in the middle ten days, the days of Maghfirah. Ya Allah, we ask that you send your Maghfirah upon each and every one of us. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept the fast that we fasted in this month. We ask that you accept the prayers that we have prayed in this month. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept the increased taqwa and haya that most of us have felt on this month. And Ya Allah, we ask that you give us istiqamat on this salah, istiqamat on this taqwa, istiqamat on this haya. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, as this month starts to fade away, Ya Allah, we are worried that what will happen to us after this month of Ramadan. Ya Allah, even in previous years we have been untrue to you. In previous years we also fasted in Ramadan. We also prayed taraweeh. We also became closer to you. And Ya Allah, we did it only and only to no avail to our own selves. Right when Ramadan ended, we went back to our sinful ways. We went back to our sinful lives. Ya Allah, Rabbi Kareem, we are asking you, we are begging you to make this year's Ramadan different for us. Us, make it a means of lasting, everlasting change. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we wish never to go back to the ways of our own jahiliyyah. We wish only and only to follow the ways of your Salat al-Mustaqeem. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, <coughs> we ask Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are living in the same increasingly same situation which is the fitness of Dajjal, the same situation that the 
to face. Ya Allah, we ask that you enable each and every one of us to discover the Hanif Iman inside of ourselves, to learn about you, to learn how to love you, to learn how to fear you, to learn how to obey you, to learn how to worship you. Ya Allah, we ask that you make our kulub marboot. Ya Allah, we ask that you make our kulub mazboot. Ya Allah, we ask that you firm and strengthen our spiritual hearts. We ask that you connect and join our spiritual hearts. Ya Allah, we ask that you make once again from the youth of this ummah a jama'ah that seeks to love you, that wants to worship you, that wants to please you, that wants to establish virtue and good on this earth. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And we ask that you enable us to do hijrah from our sins, hijrah from the sinful gatherings, hijrah from the sinful thoughts, hijrah from the sinful memories, hijrah from the sinful desires. And Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept each and every one of us as your ibad, the mukhlasin, amongst your chosen, protected, and beloved servants and slaves. Ya Allah, Rabbi Kareem, whatever we manage to listen from Quran, to read from Quran, to teach from Quran, Ya Allah, we ask that you accept this amal from us. We ask that you make each and every one of us sahib Quran, sahiba of Quran. We ask that you make us an ashik of the Quran, amil of the Quran, alim of the Quran, hamil of the Quran, khadim of the Quran. Ya Allah, Rabbi Kareem, you know yourself how little Quran we read this whole year, how little Quran we have read in our lives, how little amal on Quran that we have done, how little we have followed the guidance of Quran, how little we followed the sunnah of Nabi Salam. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem, but still you let us come here, still you sent your mercy upon us, still you accepted these few hours of our day to be spent in front of your Quran. Ya Rabbi Kareem, surely you didn't do this to only throw us back on our own sins. Surely it would be bayid for you to mock us in such a way that Ya Allah, you let us sit in front of your Quran and learn and read your Quran only to go back to our old sinful ways. Ya Allah, we have husnizan about you, that you are Rabbi Kareem. Surely you brought us here because you wanted to increase us in our deen, increase us in our taqwa, increase us in our love for you. Ya Allah, we ask that you increase us in our love for Quran, and our love for deen, and our love for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi and our love for his sunnah, and our love for all of those things that are precious and beloved to you, and our love for all of those people who are lovers and beloved to you. And Ya Allah, we ask that you unite us with the salihin and muttaqeen on the day of judgment, and unite us with the salihin and muttaqeen and jannatul firdos. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, humare gunao ko maaf farma, is Quran ko parne parhane ko kubul farma. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hum sab ko hakiki maane mein ahle Quran bana, humare dil ko Quran ki mutabik bana, aankhon ki Quran ki mutabik bana, soch Quran ki mutabik bana, bolne ke andaaz Quran ki mutabik bana, chalne, phirne, utne, baitne, humare tibiyat, mazaj, andaaz ko bhi sara Quran-e-Kareem ki mutabik bana. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hum jaysay hawaano ko bhi Quran-e insaan bana, sunnat wala insaan bana, imani, islami, ahsani insaan bana. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, ya mez aap ka fazl aur karam hai, humare koi okaat nahi ke hum Quran parhe, ya Quran sunay, ya Quran ki khidmat kare. Ya Allah, aap ne apne mehrbani firma di. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hume hemesha apne fazl aur karam ke saaya mein rakh dijiye. Hamesha is kisim ki fazl hum par inayat karte rahe. Ya Rabbi Kareem, aap ke fazl aur karam ke baghair, humare paas koi chara nahi. Hum to sara sar gunah wale hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, karam 
وسلم کے معاملہ فرما دیجیے ہم جیسے گناگاروں سے بھی اپنی مخفت کے وعدہ کر دیجیے یا رب کریم رمضان مبارک کا مینا ہے یا رب کریم ہم حالت روزے میں آپ کے قرآن پڑھتے تھے حالت عبادت میں آپ کے قرآن پڑھتے تھے یا رب کریم اس پڑھنا پڑھانا کو قبول کر دیجیے اس کو آئندہ تکمیل تک پہنچانے کے لیے توفیق عطا کر دیجیے اپنے شرف قبولیت نصیب کر دیجیے یا رب کریم یا اللہ ان سب لوگ اپنے وقت کو قربان کر کر دوستوں کو قربان کر کر رشتے داروں کو قربان کر کر آپ کی محبت میں آتے تھے آپ کی چاہت میں آتے تھے اسم آپ کے متلاشی تھے یا رب کریم ان کو اپنے مقصد عطا کر دیجیے اور جس چیز کی وہ تلاش کر رہے تھے آپ کی درد تلاش کر رہے تھے آپ سے ایک نسبت مانگ رہے تھے یا رب کریم تمام حاضرین کو اپنے نسبت عطا فرما اپنے میت عطا فرما اپنا قرب عطا فرما اپنا اقربیت عطا فرما یا رب کریم ہمیں وہ کچھ عطا فرما جو آپ عطا کر سکتے ہیں یا رب کریم ہمارے گناہوں کو نہ دیکھیں یا رب گناہوں کو معاف کر دیجیے یا رب کریم اس قرآن کی نسبت اس قرآن کی برکت اس قرآن کی لاج کرنے کی ہمیں توفیق عطا فرما یا رب کریم بہت سے پڑھنے اور پڑھانے والے ہیں ہم بھی بہت چیز پڑھتے پڑھا چکے ہیں یا اللہ آپ نے اپنے کرم کر دیا آپ نے ہمارے آپ نے ہم کو اپنے کلام کے سامنے بٹھا دیا یا رب کریم آپ کی کریمی کا کوئی انتہا نہیں اگر ہم ساری زندگی سجد میں رہیں اس نعمت کی شکر میں ہم پھر بھی اس شکر کا حق ادا نہیں کر سکیں گے یا رب کریم ہم شکر کرنا چاہتے ہیں ہمارے ساتھ لئن شکر تم نہ عزیدند کو مالا معاملہ فرما دیجئے ہمارے دین کے مضبوط فرما ایمان کے اضافہ فرما سنت میں اضافہ فرما حیاء میں اضافہ فرما تقوی میں اضافہ فرما یا رب کریم ہم سب کو اپنے ہم سارے ایمان کو اپنی حفاظت میں نصیب فرما یا رب کریم قیامت آنے تک تمام نوجوان نسلوں کی ایمان کی حفاظت فرما یا رب کریم ہم ایک فتنہ فساد فوش اور منکر کے زمانے میں رہ رہے ہیں یا رب کریم ہمیں محفوظ فرما دیجیے ہمیں دنیا حیات دنیا کے ناجائز زینت سے مرغوب ہونے سے بچا دیجیے یا رب کریم ہمیں آخرت کے زینت کے متمنی بنا دیجیے آخرت کی زینت کے چسکر عطا کر دیجیے یا رب کریم تقوی کا جام ہمیں بنا دیجیے لالکم تتکون کا مزداق ہمیں بنا دیجیے یا اللہ یا رب کریم ہمارے ان دعاؤں کو قبول فرما امت مسلم جو بھی پریشان حال ہے مظلومین ہے متاثرین ہے یا اپنے خصوصی غیبی خزانے رحمت میں ان کی رحمت نازل فرما آپ تو ٹوٹی دلوں کی تسلی دینے والے ہیں اپنے خصوصی رحمت ان پر نازل فرما اور ہم سب کو ان کی اعلیٰ خدمت کرنے کے لیے قبول فرما یا رب کریم جہاں بھی آپ کی پسند کے مطابق آپ کی منشا کے مطابق دین کی کوشش ہو رہی ہے دین کی اشاعت ہو رہی ہے دین کی خدمت ہو رہی ہے یار بکریم ان تمام کوششوں کو شرف قبولیت عطا فرما ہدایات کے چشمے کو ساری جاری فرما اور یار بکریم ہم سب کو ہمیشہ ان ہدایت کے چشموں کے ساتھ نتھی رہنے کی توفیق عطا فرما یار بکریم جس 
نیت سے جس حسن زن سے یہ سب لوگ آتے تھے بکریم ان کے حسن زن کے مطابق ہمیں بھی بنا دیجیے ان کے حسن زن کے مطابق آپ بھی ان کے ساتھ سلوک کر دیجیے بکریم ہم سب کو اپنا بنا دیجیے اپنائت والا فیصلہ کر دیجیے بکریم ہم تو ربنا 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 پکڑتے ہیں بکریم ایک دفعہ عباد نہ سے بھی ہمیں دیکھ دیجیے ایک دفعہ یا ابدی سے ہمیں بھی پکار دیجیے تمام حاضرین مرجس پر ایک نظر شفقت عطا فرما ایک نظر رحمت عنایت فرما ایک لمحہ اسے اپنا قبولیت نصیب فرما یار بکریم ہم نہ لائق ہیں لائق بننا چاہتے ہیں یار بکریم ہماری دعاؤں کو قبول فرما یار بکریم جو بیمار ہیں ان کو صحت نصیب فرما جو رسک کی وجہ سے تنگ دست ہیں یا اللہ ان کے رسک کے حلال طیب کے آسانی نصیب فرما یار بکریم جو نوجوان لڑکے لڑکیاں ہیں جن کے ابھی رشتے طے ہونے والے ہیں یار بکریم ان سب کو نیک سالے قدر دان رشتے نصیب فرما اپنے دین کے لیے جوڑی پسند فرما یار بکریم اپنے دین کے لیے ہمیں قبول فرما خدمت دین کے لیے قبول فرما اور یار بکریم ہم سب کو علم کا طلب عطا فرما جس طرح سے نہ موسم علم کے طالب صادق تھے یار بکریم ہم سب کو بھی علم علم دین اور معرفت لاہی کا طالب صادق بنا یا اللہ بکریم جس کو اندر دل میں جو بھی پریشانی ہے اس پریشانیوں کو دور فرما دین پر چلنا آسان بنا دین کو سمجھنا آسان بنا دین کی خاطر دنیا کو قربان کرنا آسان بنا دینی رشتے کو نبھانے کے لیے دنیاوی رشتوں کو چھوڑنا آسان بنا ارے بکریم آپ کے ساتھ ہمارا جو رشتہ ہے ابد اور اللہ کے درمیان جو رشتہ ہے اس کو نبھانے کے لیے یا اللہ ہر چیز قربان کرنے کے لیے آسان بنا ربنا تقبل منا انك انت السميع العليم وتوب علينا انك انت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين برحمتك يا ارحم الراحمين امين